Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. It is noon on All-Star Game Friday. Mother Nature starting to roll in a little bit. Are we not supposed to talk about that? Because I don't think tomorrow is going to be bad, but I guess this afternoon there's a chance it's going to be rough. Is that right? A little bit of snow today, yeah. But it, it appears, at least from what I've read, and I'll put it on the front end, clearly not a meteorologist, among other things that I am not. But what I've read says the ground's going to be warm enough to where it shouldn't impact travel, but it will be present. So always be careful out there. I will say, though, when looking at the forecast a couple days ago, Jake, I had this thought. With how the NBA rotates these things, it's not to say that having 60 degrees the next three days would have been great and awesome, and maybe it impacts the event itself, but based on their cycle, it's probably going to be another 15, 20, 25 years, regardless of what market you're in. So whatever Mother Nature throws our way, enjoy it all the same. You are correct. Um, I want to begin with, as All-Star Game weekend is upon us, the event last night. Eddie, did you attend? I did not. The kickoff, or the tip-off. Sorry, see, I almost did the same thing you did. The bicentennial tip-off? Bicentennial tip-off celebration. Um, Back in the day, as the kids say, we probably should have a little sounder for Uncle Jake history time, right? Even though this is well before my time. But most people know in the state of Indiana, all, about the Milan Miracle in 1954 when the Milan Indians came and won the 1954 state title and they had to defeat Indianapolis Crispus Attucks en route to the Final Four at Hinkle Fieldhouse. But maybe some don't realize that in 1953, Milan, which of course was the small school that became the basis for the movie Hoosiers, and their head coach Marvin Wood had come to the Final Four at Hinkle Fieldhouse, Butler Fieldhouse as it was known at the time, in 1953. And when they went to Hinkle Fieldhouse in 1953, they were escorted by a police officer, a police escort. All all the schools, I believe, had that. And you've seen that in Hoosiers, like where the bus, you know, pulls up and there's a security guard, if you will, that escorts them. And as story goes, and I think probably there's no reason to believe it would not be true, this aspect of it, the state trooper or IMPD officer said to Milan, somewhat flippantly, if you boys win the state, because it was a huge deal in 1953 that this tiny school led by juniors, but this tiny school with like, you know, eight boys in the school and all the legendary stories about it. It was more than that, but the story grows each year. They were the Cinderella darlings of the state of Indiana. And the legendary story is that a police officer said to the Milan team, if you boys win the state championship, I'll not only escort you back to Milan, I'll drive you around Monument Circle in the meantime. And of course, they did not win. In 1954, they returned. 
and they returned to face Muncie Central in the state title game and the legendary story that everyone knows now, Bobby Plump held the ball and then eventually hit the game-winning shot and they won 32-30, I'm pretty sure was the final. And that same police officer was the one assigned to them and he said, okay, a deal's a deal. And as they paraded back from Hinkle to Milan, they did so by going down Meridian Street and then around Monument Circle before heading out to the east, I would assume, on Washington Street and then picking up the state road that would have taken them back to Milan. In 1955, Indianapolis Crispus Attucks, who had lost to Milan the year before in the tournament, made it to the Final Four, led by junior Oscar Robertson, the greatest player in Indiana high school basketball history. And when Crispus Attucks made it, keep in mind a couple of things. Indianapolis Crispus Attucks was a segrega- a school that came about via segregation. Named, of course, for the, the African-American soldier that was killed in the Revolutionary War. And Crispus Attucks High School on the very near west side of Indianapolis was over by the area known as Lockfield. And Lockfield was one of the two segregated, quote-unquote, black neighborhoods in Indianapolis of the time. And many of the great players that came through Crispus Attucks, Oscar Robertson, Willie Gardner, Flat Bailey, Oscar's older brother, Cleveland Harp, Halle Bryant, they grew up playing on what was known as the Dust Bowl, the dirt basketball goals over near Lockfield. Eventually, white players like the Van Arsdales, Tom and Dick Van Arsdale, came over to play in in the Dust Bowl. But the games were legendary, and the legends were made as a result of it. And Attucks had great players, And in addition to that, Indianapolis Crispus Attucks was arguably the finest academic institution in the city for the fact that many of its faculty members were PhD educators that should have been teaching at Indiana University or Ball State University or Purdue University, but it was a segregated era for the most part in Indiana in those days, and so they instead taught at the black high school. And the students that went to Indianapolis Crispus Attucks were getting as good an education as anybody anywhere in the country. And the city of Indianapolis had a huge pride about Indianapolis Crispus Attucks because back in those days, you rooted for the team that knocked you out. If you lost in the state tournament, you then went to the next round of the tournament and cheered for the team that had knocked you out. And so Indianapolis was rallying around Crispus Attucks. Sure, there was segregation, no question. Sure, they had to play a majority of their games away from home. Sure, they played five on eight in most of their games. I'm not diminishing any of that, but I'm also saying I'm not naive to it. But when it came down to it, and yes, the N-word might have been used regularly to describe it, which is deplorable, inexcusable, and a dark history in Indiana's, a dark part of Indiana's past. But the reality is that there also was, some of that was set aside at least in between the lines of the game because they were in Indianapolis school. And when they won, Attucks got a parade or an escort from Hinkle Fieldhouse back to Lockfield area and Indianapolis Crispus Attucks, down Meridian Street, and then taking a right on 10th. But a young Oscar Robertson, as they were riding, was under the assumption, understandably so, that they would be taken around Monument Circle and that the fans of Attucks would be able to line up around the very area that we are sitting on top of right now and see the event around Monument Circle of the celebration. But 
They instead did not go all the way down to the circle. It wasn't customary then. It had been for Milan the year before, and so therefore assumed that it was customary. It was not. What has always been up for debate, and I actually believe it probably to be true, was that Oscar Robertson or members of the Addicts team overheard the police talking about concerns of actually taking the team around Monument Circle because they were a black team and they couldn't trust the fans of the black school. So as a result, they took them straight to Addicts. That hurt Oscar Robertson greatly. His, his autobiography talks about it. He's talked about it in interviews over the years, including with me. It hurt him. Over the years, different players, the late, great Cleveland Harp, who was as dear a man as you're going to find, that was a, a security guard at Baker's Life Fieldhouse that stood with a green jacket 10 feet from the benches of the Indiana Pacers, unaware that the guy that was standing there protecting them had been one of the first African-American members to sign a pro contract out of the city of Indianapolis when he himself played for Addicts. Cleveland Harp, Hallie Bryant, a lot of them had reached out to Oscar and just said, it might be time to let that anger go. And it took a very long time, and it's not for me to say whether or not it ever did for him. And I believe with what he experienced, he is totally justified in his emotion. So with all of that said, and all of that seed planted, to me it is one of the great triumphant stories in the history of sports in this town historically speaking, that Oscar Robertson, some nearly 70 years after his team won the first state championship for a black high school anywhere in the country and became the first undefeated state champion for an all-black school anywhere in the country in 1956 when they repeated, for Oscar Robertson to be front and center, not only for an event that tipped off an NBA All-Star Game weekend in his home city of Indianapolis – but to do so with his name and lights and then with the announcement and the unveiling of a statue for Oscar Robertson by the NBA, by the city of Indianapolis to be placed in front of Christmas Attics, and in addition to that with a private reception and event for him that will be taking place over the course of the weekend on Monument Circle, all of those things to me are an absolutely beautiful, beautiful testament, not to the city of Indianapolis making good on the errors of its past, but rather on the proper salute that can never be enough for indisputably, in my opinion, the greatest in totality basketball player to ever have come up through the state of Indiana. This state should be proud of Oscar Robertson. This state should have more than just a statue of Oscar Robertson. And anybody that talks about high school basketball in this state needs to begin the conversation by saying the greatest career and the greatest player ever to play for an Indiana high school is, in fact, Oscar Robertson. I can hear any arguments for me, and to take it even a step further, zooming out, his impact on the NBA will never be forgotten. Not only has he been viewed by many as one of the most talented players to ever grace the hardwood of the National Basketball Association, being recognized with the 50th anniversary and 75th anniversary team, the 75th obviously, Occurring last year, he had what was once thought an unbreakable record that Rus- Russell Westbrook ends up matching, man, was this five, six years ago now? I actually think it's eight years. Wow. With averaging a triple-double over the course of an entire season, he wins an NBA championship and is a pinnacle face of the Milwaukee Bucks prior to them finally winning another NBA championship with Giannis a couple of years ago. Also, the reason that we have the ability 
for players to negotiate contracts and operate freely within free agency was because of him being the face of the anti antitrust suit You're that right. went against the NBA when the Players Association was trying to block the NBA ABA merger. It delayed it by a couple of years in part because they wanted to fight the amount of control that teams and owners had over players because back then players couldn't even talk with teams even before free agency was approaching. And that antitrust suit was monumental in having the framework for the type of free agency draftability that players have today. So he's a he's not just a paramount figure within the state and being probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest player to ever come through the state of Indiana. He is a monumental figure in the history of the NBA. You cannot tell that story without the big O Oscar Robertson. Totally. I totally agree, Jim. And you're right about the, you know, free agency. And you know, a guy that it's interesting because if you read Oscar's book, which is a fabulous book, you know, he talks about the fact that because of basketball and because of the way Oscar Robertson was born in Tennessee, but he moved here at the age of, I think, five or six years old, Cleveland, Tennessee, where he was born, and then moved to Indianapolis. And, you know, I, I think that he, he by his own admission, was a little bit sheltered from or naive to the blatant racism that was taking place within his community. I think he was aware of it, but he was so focused on just playing basketball and, and, and going to school that you know, he tells the story that it wasn't really until he had left here that he ended up kind of seeing and understanding and grasping everything that had taken place. Although that that story, obviously, with the area of the circle, illuminates the fact that he was aware of it. I just don't know that he felt consumed by it. But when he looked back on retrospect, I think he felt consumed by it. And quite frankly, I think Indianapolis, which he has a great love for, at times it was hard for him to have that to have that love and i totally understand it i absolutely i can't 100% relate to it because i'm a white kid that grew up at 73rd and allisonville but i but i understand it and you know i again i have always been so proud when when i was a kid growing up i remember asking my dad what my grandfather's reaction was to addicts winning the state title. And I remember asking my dad that and being hesitant when I asked it because I was with pause worried that he was going to say that my grandfather had issue with it because it was a quote unquote black school. And my dad said, Oh, I remember. And this was in Ravenswood. My dad said, I remember us going out and banging pots and pans in the street elated because a school from Indianapolis was the first Indianapolis high school to win the state title. It wasn't the Franklin Wonder Kids. It wasn't Muncie Central, who had hit Milan, had beaten the year before, and had already won multiple titles. It wasn't, you know, Anderson or, or Lafayette Jeff. It was Indianapolis Addicts, and they were so proud of that. And from the time that I understood and had a love for the state of Indiana, I was always so proud of the fact that for years – for the first probably 20 years of my life, I didn't get blowback when I told people that the greatest player of all time was Oscar Robertson. And before Jordan became Jordan, he was Kareem would have been in the end of his career as well. Wilt Chamberlain was in the discussion, no doubt about it. But you did not get blowback in the mid-80s and early 90s when he told people that Oscar Robertson is the greatest basketball player of all time. What he did for a career and averaging a triple-double for a season, going to Cincinnati and going to multiple Final Fours, 
winning the state titles of which I spoke, and then going into the NBA, playing for the Cincinnati Royals, eventually finding his way, as you had mentioned, Jimmy, and everything he stood for in Milwaukee. Just a fabulous story, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled and proud to know that forever people will be able to see for permanently in the city of Indianapolis the image of Oscar Robertson. Uh, We have coming up on the program today, pretty big show. We talked about this yesterday, Jimmy. We had recorded an interview that will air today at 1 o'clock with Jermaine O'Neal. It's about 30 minutes. I'm telling you right now, folks, and I don't just say, I mean, if there's one thing you know in listening to this show, it's that typically I'm not that guy that's constantly like crying wolf, right? And um, this interview with Jermaine O'Neal is just very honest and I think for him, very cathartic. And I think people are going to look, are going to enjoy listening to it, Jimmy. Yeah, it was one of the most open, human, transparent, just revealing conversations that I've ever been a part of. And for people my age specifically, I mean, Jake, you obviously lived it. You mentioned during the interview, you covered his entire career. But for people my age that were not in the workforce at that point in time, that were young kids, during Jermaine O'Neal's ascension as a pacer, he mattered a great deal to a lot of people mine and Eddie's age just because it was the growth of a unproven commodity turning into a, I mean, of course, Reggie was the franchise player, but a maybe 1B level franchise player to this team where you looked at just that group and all the consistency that they had in the back half of Reggie's career, there's a lot of pieces you can point to for why they were successful, but a lot of it would not have happened without the acquisition and the development of Jermaine O'Neal. And the part that really stands out to me the most, and I had heard this from people in the before that had covered him like you did, the love that he had and still has for Indianapolis, that he greatly views it as even though his rookie year was with the Portland Trailblazers. He joked with us, people don't remember that he played for the Trailblazers. All they think about is that his career started in Indiana, even though he'd already been in the league for four years. The city means a great deal to him. He means so much to Pacers fans. And to be able to get that opportunity for him to, as he said, tell his truth was just an incredible opportunity that I, like yourself, was grateful to be a part of. So last night, there was a pretty cool event that took place. Jermaine was there. Um, at one of the restaurants downtown in Indy. And they had basically an alumni dinner for the Pacers. And I I, I don't usually, I, I mean, I try not to talk about because it's complete coincidence, you know, my my like relationship just in terms of, but I think most people now by know, excuse me, by now know, um, you know, that I date Shannon and have for a very long time and, and her connection to the Pacers. She took her father to the dinner last night, um, drove him down there, and you know he's in great health and everything else, but, but uh, he wanted her to go along. So the two of them went down to the event, and then I called her last night on my way over to her house, and she was on her way home with her dad in the car. And so, I, you know, it meant the world – I think, to everybody that was there. That's what's so great about this weekend. So Donnie Walsh is who I'm talking about. And I, as I'm talking to her, and he's he's listening because it's, you know, it's on the speakerphone in the car, and he was talking about the people that were there and just what a special evening it was for him and, and for all of them. 
and Donnie's not that kind of guy. Donnie's not, you know, Donnie is very like, just kind of takes everything very, not uh, non-appreciative is the wrong word, but he doesn't get overwhelmed by moments, right? Level-headed. Level-headed, thank you. I think last night was truly meaningful, not only to him, but to be able to see Travis Best and Jermaine O'Neal and Ron Artest and Detlef Schrempf and Billy Knight and Freddie Lewis and Rick Smiths, you know, some of the Al Harrington, some of these guys weren't players even that he had, but that he obviously knows, Bob Nedelicki. Um, but that's what it's all about. The the Pacers organization and basketball in this town are so intertwined and such a part of our fabric and our and, and everything else that to see someone who helped architect those teams but doesn't but grew up in New York and lived in Colorado and then came to Indiana but now since then will never leave Indiana and loves Indiana and to see Derek McKee that grew up in Alabama and played in Seattle and then came to Indiana and lives in Indiana and is still around Indiana and to see you know Detlef Schrempf that that grew up in Germany and then lived in Seattle and got traded here or actually Dallas and then got traded from here to Seattle but still comes back to Indiana on a regular basis like that's the stuff that it's all about and I think that we get very caught up in from game to game moment to moment and we're always chasing that high of seeing our team do the best that they can and the team you root for whether it's the Pacers or the Knicks or whoever you root for but in the end this weekend I think is just the display Jimmy of how basketball truly in this state kind of is family right and it brings people back together and that's what we talked about yesterday in my heartbreak in seeing what happened in Kansas City for example in the parade there because sports is supposed to be what unifies the masses sports is supposed to be what allows a guy from Germany to get together to have dinner with an executive from New York with the guy that he got traded for that grew up in Alabama and a young kid that came in that didn't go to high school or didn't go to college and went straight from high school in South Carolina or Mississippi to sit at the same table and all sit there and laugh and share a common bond that's absolutely what it's all about totally what it's all about and that's what this weekend is about right yeah it's not just getting to represent the NBA on the highest stage and have the NBA world come together you would hope and I can't speak for other cities but you would hope as this event has made its way through Cleveland and Chicago and L.A. and all the other stops along the way that teams with NBA franchises of a rich history have these reunions where it's not just about representing the city. It's about looking back at memory lane and all that you've been able to accomplish as a franchise, all the great players that you have had be a part of that organization. And that gets lost in it sometimes, right? Because you're so focused on the national spectacle of it all and oh man like Pau Gasol's over there and you know oh man LeBron James is down the corner like you get lost in the national aspect of it but Jake you've outlined it multiple times not just on today's show but throughout the course of covering the market there is such a rich basketball history that can never be forgotten and events like this should be maximized to celebrate it to look back and to bring people together. Um, last night, did you watch and, and listen, I turned it on and Purdue was down three and then they, they got the, I don't know which way to look at this, Jimmy. Are we 
pleased with Purdue finding ways to win games where they're down like that and where they're a little out of sorts, but they managed to get like big shots from Mason Gillis, for example, to kind of let them hang around and before they make their move and then they pull away a little bit? Or are we worried that they're playing with fire? They are so talented. No argument there. In so many different phases of the game that while, yes, I think Purdue fans would love it if they were just blowing people out by 20 every night and were not in close games and taking care of business, I tend to look at this glass half full, which is if Zach Eady, like he did last night, has a slow start in the round of 32 when you're playing a seven or an eight seed. How does your team respond? Have you had situations throughout the year where that happens? And it did happen last night against Minnesota. Zach Eady got off to a slow start. He still finishes like 24 and 15, I think, and was the major catalyst in the second half for why they were able to eventually pull away. But if I'm a Purdue fan, as long as the wins are still adding up, I want as much situational experience as possible. I'm not saying, hey, punt the ball for the first six possessions and get down 15, but if you do, make it a valuable lesson and pull out a W in spite of it. So I'm, I agree with you. There is a sense of fire there, but I also like the thought that this is not a Purdue team that is just coasting to victory through the Big Ten and there's not any experience that's being added even if you could make the argument, well, they lost to a 16 seed last year, what more experience do they need? This is still a new unit to some extent. You want Lance Jones to be a part of this lineup further where they have to get a couple baskets late or get a couple stops late. So I'm always more glass half full. Yes, they are playing with fire, Jake, but as long as the wins keep adding up, I like to look at it as they got a situational win that is going to be valuable when their backs are against the wall in March. Only 11 minutes played last night, but I thought really good 11 minutes from Caleb First, for example, coming in when his number was called. Um, and again, Braden Smith down the stretch. When they need plays, Braden Smith just just is able to make plays for them. I mean, he is such a heady player, such a smart player. Minnesota needed that game, to be honest with you, because yeah. you know I think Minnesota probably still is right on the bubble of a tournament team. But had they won at Purdue and moved themselves at the 16-8, and eight, that's a huge difference from being 15-9 and nine and where they are, right? And that's a big stamp. It's the best win you could have in that conference because of where Purdue is ranked nationally. It is the best win you could have had for your resume over the potential top overall seed in the tournament. And you know that, the, I hate to say this, the Big Ten, Indiana's finding this out. One of the challenges for the Big Ten is the fact that it doesn't offer no. a lot of opportunity for you to get like really great wins, it, it right? It doesn't. In fact, it prevents it adds more pitfalls than anything because like the Big East this year, like we've talked about, there's quad one opportunities galore in the Big Ten. That same type of style matchup is a quad two or a quad three win where not only does the win not elevate your resume, the loss could kill you. Um, did you re did you watch when Fred Jones won the dunk contest? He was, I believe, the first pacer to win the dunk contest. I think Paul George won it. Glenn Robinson the third won it. But Fred Jones was the first to do it. Well, I, not the first to participate, but the first to win it. Nine-year-old me did indeed watch it. And in fact, I've rewatched it a couple times in the lead up to this because I wanted to refresh the memory a little bit. But yes, I did watch it when I was a kid. He is set to join us. We're going to dip into the Rolodex and see if we can't track down Freddie Jones. We're going to have to play some Freddie Jones band. I think I'm the only one that remembers them. They were big when I was in college. That conversation, by the way, next. All-Star Weekend upon us. It's Query and Company here. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So, Eddie, do we have a highlight? You got one queued up? I should have. Bad producing on my part. I thought I just heard you editing it. So we didn't get the Freddie Jones band, and we didn't get the audio of him dunking and winning the dunk contest. <laughs> so we're off to a flying start here, right? Does he like ACDC? Did we find that out? I don't know. I just thought Thunderstruck would have been a nice fit. That's, well, that's fair. Well, if I was, and we could obviously ask Fred Jones about this now, but if I was correct in re-watching the highlight package that is still on YouTube from TNT, his ending dunk was not a dunk, right? It, like fell off his hands and went in the backboard and fell in and they gave him I think well, like 36. Him. We'll ask him now because Fred Jones who was drafted 14th in the 2002 NBA draft by the Pacers and then won the 2004 dunk contest back in town for All-Star Weekend and joins us now. Fred, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, did Jimmy sell you short? Was your last dunk really a layup? Uh, an aggressive layup. <laughs> <laughs> You have to get the air first, right? I mean, for crying out loud, right? Right, right, right. Did they, did yeah. they give an explanation, Fred, for why they wouldn't let you go again? Because you didn't really dunk the basketball. It wasn't your fault. It was just a bad pass. Right. No, it was actually a great pass. One of my <laughs> high school friends, uh, you know, did a really good job on it. I, it, just, uh, it was just something we never practiced before, so it slipped out of my out of my hand and yeah, I was I was upset because I thought that, I thought I lost the contest with that because I didn't get to do it again, but it, it worked out. Speaking of that, and this is what I love: if I'm not mistaken, you were one and done with the dunk contest. You won, and you're like, "I'm good, I'm good." Like that was it. Now, yeah. did they never invite you back again, or did you just say, "You know what? I got what I needed"? Oh no, they they definitely invited me back, and they was upset that I didn't come back, but. Uh, all I needed was one. I just needed to say I never lost in the NBA dunk contest. Now, I'm curious because I remember, Fred Jones, when you came back from the All-Star game and they did like a little deal at the field house where you had the trophy and we all got to interview you. Um, if, th- if that were me, like I'm not even going to say the trophy would be on my mantle. I probably would have it displayed permanently in some sort of case in my front yard so that everybody knew. <laughs> Do you know where the trophy is? Oh, I definitely know where it's at. Now, um, I had a um, I had a gym here in, in Indy uh, called Shoot 360, and I still have it. It's in Noblesville now. But I uh, when I had it on on Georgetown Road, uh, I had the trophy in my facility so the kids could see it when they Heck come yeah. in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now it's sitting on my desk where I do work at. <laughs> so, what is life like today for Fred Jones? Because I was a little surprised when I called you. Uh, to see about coming on because you know I'd seen you out and about and around town at different events and as you mentioned your gym you know recently and when I called you you said oh man I'm just now getting back into town so clearly you have moved you're no longer living in Indy right correct correct no I I moved back to some warmer weather uh, you know to on the west coast back to the west coast okay so with that when you look back Fred at Let's begin with the dunk contest before we go down memory lane here. 
in terms of those that are participating in the dunk contest this weekend, and it's such a big part of NBA All-Star Weekend, when you got that call, how long did you have to know that you were going to be in the dunk dunk contest, and, and how much preparation did you do for it? Well, the the day I got the call, I got the call from Stu Jackson, um, who was asking you know people to be in it, and Stu Jackson um, played at the University of Oregon, the same the same school I went to, uh, so I knew him, and, and he was inviting me, and I said no, I didn't want to do it, um, and then uh, called my nephew, and he kind of talked me into it, so I called him back and said, okay, I will do it, so. Uh, it took my nephew pushing me to go ahead and even do it. When you got drafted here, Fred, there was, you know, I remember Isaiah Thomas loved your game coming out of Oregon because he felt you were true, a true combo guard. And he was very vocal about his support. Kind of, I, I think to some extent, Fred Jones is kind of seen as Isaiah Thomas's first draft pick, where Donnie basically said to Isaiah, like, you let me know what guy you want. And you were, he was a big supporter of yours. Did you have a pressure on you when you first came into the league? Um, no real pressure. Um, yes, I knew Isaiah, uh, you know, put his neck out for me, and I was appreciative of that. Um, you know, but I had a lot of bets on my team. I had, you know, Reggie Miller playing in front of me, so I didn't have any pressure. I was just there trying to get better every day and, and compete. The 180 in the dunk contest, the one you did in the final round where you get a 50, did you have that saved for the final round in the days and weeks leading up to the dunk contest, or was that just spur of the moment one you knew you had in your bag that you wanted to execute? Yeah, no, I I, I didn't know I didn't know what I was going to do, actually. Um, and um, I, I knew I didn't need, like, a crazy score on the first one. So I uh, I actually went over to Jermaine and, and asked him, you know, what do you think about this? And he was like, you can do that? And I was like, yeah, I've been doing that since high school. And he was like, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. And, and so that, that's where that one came from. Yeah. Now, could you do that today? Um, on a, If I don't have to jump, you know, on a, <laughs> a five-foot hoop. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Fred. I I'm pretty sure you were there for this, so I'm going to ask you, and you can lie and just and just have my back here anyway, right? Uh, we, I was in, oh, it would have been a handful of years ago, uh, Amp Harris put together, he and Reggie Wayne put together their basketball fundraising tournament during you know summer celebration for Black Expo, and I was in that game, and I'm pretty sure you were in it. You might have been coaching, but I think he played also. But Jacoby Brissett was in the game. Now, first off, do you remember the Colts quarterback, Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, I do. Okay. Will you back me up on this? He shot every time he got the ball. Like, he was a quarterback (laughs) in the NFL, which meant he passed a lot. But he didn't have a single pass in that game. Do you remember that correctly like I do? I I do remember that. And uh, Jacoby really thought he could play basketball. Uh, He's actually came to my facility a few times and and brought a couple of uh, the Colts over, you know, to work out and, and to play in my facility a few times. He actually isn't a bad player. I will say he could shoot from anywhere. I'll give him that much. He just wasn't afraid to shoot from anywhere either, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, Fred Jones, our guest. Fred, one of the things that, that most jumps out to me when I think about your career 
And yes, I, I realize the elephant in the room would be anytime you're talking to Fred Jones about the Pacers was you were unfortunately kind of in the epicenter of the video of the brawl. That's been discussed a thousand times. Your teammate Jermaine going to join us in about 20 minutes and that topic comes up. So we don't need to go there per se, but I will always remember I think one of the most special games in franchise history was that game, I think it was against Orlando, in the first game where you guys were so shorthanded after the brawl and you led the team. I think you had 35, 32 or 35. But that literally was – I've never seen that crowd as unified towards a basketball team as I saw that night for the Pacers. What's your recollection of that evening? Amazing night. Uh, you know, one of one of the best experiences I had playing basketball. Um, we yes, we did play Orlando uh, that night. Uh, it's crazy. So at my gym, shoot three sixty. I was at a conference last week, and there was two NBA refs there, and one of them refed that game. And he was he brought that to my attention last week. Was like, man, I can't believe you know the atmosphere in the arena and how that game went. Uh, we lost in overtime. I had a shot, I think, at, in regulation to try to win it, uh, but we lost in overtime and got a standing ovation from the crowd, and it was it was amazing. You played for a lot of teams, you know, obviously Toronto, back in your hometown of Portland, and then New York, the Clippers, and and overseas a bit. But where do the Pacers rank for you, Fred? Oh, they were definitely my favorite. Um, you know, that was the team I played for the longest. Uh, it was a team that all of my teammates, we were, you know, all the same age. We were enjoying, you know, just everything. And we were good and competing, you know, for for a championship. So, uh, for me, it was all about being able to compete and, and, and play well. And, and that's what I did with the Pacers. Fred Jones is our guest, winner of the 2004 Slam Dunk Contest. And 20 years to the day, nearly, Fred, you're going to be involved as one of the judges alongside Dominique Wilkins and others to judge the event tomorrow night at Lucas Oil Stadium. Jalen Brown, Jaime Hawkins Jr., Mac McClung, who won it last year, Jacob Toppin are in the field. As a judge, I know this is the first time you're, you're doing this, but... Do you watch any of their stuff beforehand of either in-game or previous stuff they've done when it comes to Mac, for example? Are you going in blind without any background on them in terms of what they're capable of? And then secondly, how do you feel about the dunk contest and what it is in today's all-star facilities? Yeah. Well, uh, definitely I'm not going and and looking at their stuff. You know, uh, I'm a basketball person so I watch basketball all the time and I've seen all of them and do um you know I just want to see what they bring out uh tomorrow night you know I judge it on that I'm not going to judge them on what they've done before or or after you know just what they put out on the floor tomorrow night now lastly Fred I want to ask you about this Fred Jones our guest 20 uh, 2004 dunk contest champion uh you went to Gresham High School in Oregon correct I did not. That Gresham High School is my rival. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. Uh, Sam Barlow High School is where you went, right? Yes, My apologies. That's a Freudian slip there. Uh, The Bruins, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yep, the Bruins. So here's my question about Sam Barlow High School as I'm looking at it here. They've won state championships in band, speech, 
girls' water polo, boys' water polo, volleyball, wrestling, no basketball. What the hell Everything happened? Everything but basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, were you a water polo guy? Uh, no, I was not. Uh, <laughs> Speech uh, and debate? Yeah, yeah. No, we we had we had decent teams. Uh, as a sophomore, I lost in the championship game. Uh, as a junior, I lost in the – uh, in the semifinals and double overtime. And uh, as a senior, uh, we had some people that on my team that got suspended, and we didn't get to play like the last four games. Boy, uh, boy that was some yeah. foreshadowing, huh? Uh, by the way, yeah, yeah. Uh, girls racquetball national champions in 2006. Or 2020, hang the banner, baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, hang hang all of them. All right, hey Fred, what's your plan other than judging? You got uh, anybody you're excited to see while you're back in town in terms of your former teammates? Oh yeah, I got to see a, quite a few of them last night uh, at the little kickoff event. But uh, yeah, I got two boys, so I got a 14 year old and a 10 year old that I got out here with me. So just letting them enjoy the weekend and. Let them enjoy All-Star Weekend. All right. Well, we appreciate the time. We'll let you go back to enjoying it. Certainly hope that your sons enjoy it as well. And always good catching up with you, man. Enjoy it and safe travels back home, all right? All right. Appreciate it. All right. Fred Jones, the dunk champion from 2004. Uh, Somebody had pointed this out, and it is a very, very good point, and it leads to another great story. Uh, Hey, Jake, Darnell Hillman was a pacer when he won the dunk contest. Great, great, great point. But not entirely true. Darnell Hillman, great player, and always known as it's always said, you know, had the biggest hair basically in the ABA, and then made it into the NBA with the Pacers when they were absorbed into the NBA. And the first year of the dunk contest, as we know it today, actually took place in a series of events with the finals of the dunk contest coming during the 1977 NBA finals. Okay. So the 1977 NBA Finals with Bill Walton's Portland Trailblazers in it, taking on Philadelphia, during that finals, Darnell Hillman had made his way into the finals of a dunk competition against Larry McNeil of Golden State. But in between the different rounds of it, before the finals took place, he was traded to the New York Nets. So Darnell Hillman, when he's getting ready to go out for the dunk contest finals, gets word that his rights were traded to the New York Nets. And as a result, they introduce him as Darnell Hillman of the New York Nets. But Darnell Hillman didn't have a New York Nets jersey, obviously. And they're like, well, you have to wear something in the dunk contest. Hillman's like, well, I can't wear a Pacers jersey because I'm not a Pacer. So... He did what any responsible human being and adult does in 1977. And he says, you know, actually, I play in a summer softball league for this team that's sponsored by the Bottle Shop, which is the liquor store at 49th and College. And I've got a, a shirt that's basically like a, a shooting sleeve shirt that's that's kind of striped. And yeah, it's kind of Pacer colors, but it just says Bottle Shop. Not Pacers, not Nets. And they go, okay, that'll work. So Darnell Hillman goes out at halftime of Game 5 of the 1977 NBA Finals, a member of the New York Nets wearing a shirt for the bottle shop at 49th and College. I actually have one. I'm so proud of it. And Darnell Hillman is a great, great, great dude. But 
technically speaking, he was not a member of the Indiana Pacers when he won the 1977 NBA dunk contest. Yes, I'm going on technicality, but so too would Alex Trebek. Jermaine O'Neal going to join us in 15. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Here we go. This was big in my college days. Freddie Jones Band. I did not realize, did you guys know this? And thank you to whoever it was that texted me. I did not know this. Fred from Scooby-Doo is Fred Jones. I did notice that once oh, yeah. I was doing Fred Jones prep for that conversation. I was like, wait a minute. I did they, split up and search for clues. Did they ever say his name? I don't I, know. I mean, did they ever say his last name? I assume you're not throwing around last do, names do we, every episode. And no. I know that this is kind of a tired subject, but I, but it, it's worth repeating. Fred and Daphne were an item, right? Yes. 100%. Okay. They, so then were Velma and Shaggy an item, or were they siblings or were they um binary or suggested, whatever it's called? It, suggested as an item at times especially were, in like the movies they were? and stuff yes i don't know as I much would in the say they were more um friends mutual potheads yeah, there we go yeah i think they were yeah that or friends with um benefits or something like that yeah, yeah the benefits is sharing pot right sure and then uh scooby scooby was shaggy's dog right yeah correct and then the whole show and here's what was amazing to me about that scooby-doo deal Every television show, you can always tell when a sitcom was about to go to hell in a handbasket because they had to bring in like a cute little kid because the cute kid character had gotten too old and was no longer cute and cuddly, a la like Cindy Brady is wearing pigtails when she's like 16, and so they brought in that Oliver kid, and he ruined the show. It was over. And then <laughs> um, Arnold Jackson, like Gary Coleman was now like you know 21 years old, and so they brought in that little Sam. He's the worst of all of them. That little redheaded bull cut kid on different strokes. Sam was just awful, ruined the show. Um, same thing happened with Rudy on on Cosby Show, but to do it in animation was really a, a deal, right? Because they brought in that Scrappy Doo, Scrappy and, then, yep. it, and it was terrible after that, right? I don't know. I think it's a generational thing. I like Scrappy Doo. I don't have a problem with him. I hated Scrappy. Thank I thought you, it was awful. Buddy. Thank you. It was gross. Thank you. And that's coming from Vern from from. <laughs> I think he's pandering. By me. I think he's pandering to right. make up for the lack of the Fred Jones band. Fred Jones band uh, last break. Uh, by the way, it is only fitting that Caitlin Clark would break the record in the NCAA for all-time leading score by pulling up for about. I mean, what would you say that was a thirty-footer, thirty-five-footer? Yeah, basically from the logo, right? I mean, uh, it was and, from like where the hash mark would be in volleyball, almost or not totally. volleyball, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and here's the thing: for those that are unfamiliar, Caitlin Clark, the dynamic Iowa guard. Last night became the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history. She will likely – I don't think she has passed Pete Maravich yet, but she will if she has not yet. And she did it last night by pulling up across the three-point line and hitting literally four steps past the stripe. And it wasn't close. I mean, like, like when I say it wasn't close, I mean, like, it wasn't like it rattled out or it was banked. I mean, I don't think the net moved. It was unbel- It was one of those shots where 
she released it and, and like as it's going through the cylinder it, it seemingly was on the floor immediately and you didn't even see it's like wait a minute did that go down i know the parallels have been drawn to her before in terms of her three-point shooting abilities and eddie had mentioned it before we went to break not just the range on it but yeah it had that steph curry look the way in the arc of that basketball where it's just all one motion right through the net straight to the ground it was just the ultimate exclamation point like look a layup would have been fine but to do it in that fashion is extra special and i think uh, just a microcosm of her as a player and why you cross your fingers and hope that she winds up entering the draft this year where she would ultimately land with the indiana fever now what i find interesting is for valentine's day she had posted a picture with she and her boyfriend who is an employee of the pacers i i mean that alone one would think and again, I go back to they're telling him like you cannot quit between now and like until she, you know what I mean. She's ninety nine points away from breaking Pistol Pete Maravich's record. And she has how many games left? Uh, probably like 10, 12, 14. Yeah, I mean, She'll I mean, get there. I mean, she scored the program that, record forty nine points last Maravich, night. and I realize Mar- you know people are going to say Mar- Maravich you know only had three years, didn't have the three point line. Maravich also played for his father and was shooting like forty five times a game. I mean, the the percentage is not even close, right? I mean, it's it's amazing. What she has done is, is the, the run that she is on is absolutely amazing. And I'm telling you. They were selling courtside seats on the secondary for like 10 grand last night. Totally believe it. That's insane. When last year at the Iowa race for IndyCar, she was there as a guest of Hy-Vee. That, that race is sponsored by Hy-Vee. And she's that's one of her NIL deals is Hy-Vee. And Dallas Clark was there. Um. I can't remember. Within the last two years at the Iowa Speedway, they've had Kerry Underwood there. They've had Zach Brown Band there. They've had Kenny Chesney there. They've had, um, oh, there's Ed Sheeran was there. She was as big in Iowa a star as any of them. I'm not kidding you. Just in terms of the buzz that she created and the excitement that people had about her being there and understandably so. I mean, she's the Stephanie White of Iowa or the Damon Bailey of Iowa. And, you know, it's interesting because I I don't think that she, I'm assuming they do like rivals and those kinds of things for female players, but I think she was listed as like a top 10 or 20 recruit, but she was not listed as the unanimous can't miss number one top player phenom in the country, but probably could run for governor in the state of Iowa. I, I would hope that she has uh, an endorsement deal with Made Rights, it, because what would be great is if once here's what here's what I'm hoping. This is my hope for the Indianapolis economy and the people of this great city of Indianapolis. Caitlin Clark comes here as a member of the Fever, takes the city by storm, sells out Gambridge Fieldhouse, and there are so many people making the drive from Iowa that they open a pop-up Made Right sandwiches place right on Penn. Because other than in Ohio, you can only get them in Iowa, and they are absolutely the most fabulous things you've ever had in the world. And you're like, I can't wait to have another. Can we get Jermaine the high too, Can we get the high V as well? Can I get, can I double that? That's no? supposedly been in the works for like five years. Jermaine O'Neill, you're going to want to hear it. The interview's next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, 
jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All-Star Weekend is upon us. There are so many cool things going on. We talked about the fact that there is a big one taking place in our building, as a matter of fact, later this afternoon with Oscar Robertson and certainly one of the greats when you talk about Pacer players. He is one of four players to have started an NBA All-Star game while representing the Indiana Pacers, one of his six All-Star performances. Jermaine O'Neal joins us on the show today. Jermaine, welcome back to Indianapolis. Good to talk to you. It's good to be back here. Hey, let's begin with this. Um, I've kind of been asking guys this about the All-Star game itself. For you, and I realize when you're playing in it, it probably is a whirlwind, but what are just your memories of being an All-Star and being an All-Star starter for that matter? Uh, Take me through just some of your best memories of the experience of being an NBA All-Star. Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think the obviously you always remember the first one. The first one is the one that you know you've watched. You know you remember watching it on television. You know multiple times over, and you know you're considered one of the best players. You know not only in in, in the NBA but in the world. Um, so you remember the first one, um, and then it becomes kind of you know it comes routine a little bit. It's all, the honors are still great. You still feel. You know, you're still really, really happy about it. And obviously, as a starter, uh, it talks a lot about your popularity as well um, amongst only, you know, uh, the peers, but the fans and the coaches. So, you know, that meant a lot to me. The only thing I did not like is when we played right up against the All-Star break. Um, you know, obviously, back then, you know, the uh, you know the schedule was a little bit different. A lot more games coming at you a lot faster. Uh, and we didn't have these long breaks after the All-Star break either. So, you know, we'll get a game. All-Star break it starts on Friday. We'll be playing Wednesday or Thursday. And then we got to fly out the next day and then got to fly back on that, that, you know, either that Sunday night after the game or early that Monday morning and you're right back at it. So uh, the transition time wasn't as good uh, when I was playing. But obviously, you know, being considered you know, one, of the, one of the best players in the game um, it means a lot to you every single time that you get announced. Jermaine, what do you remember most about your breakout campaign with the Pacers? Because the time you're coming off your early years in Portland and the trade itself had mixed reactions initially from Pacers fans because they're just coming off the NBA Finals and a lot of beloved faces like Rick Smiths wind up departing the team after that. And then you come in and immediately, like I remember growing up, you were one of my favorite Pacers players. A lot of Pacers fans feel that same way. What were those early years like for you in Indiana? Uh, it was it was great, you know. I think um, you know, in all fairness, you know, the city you know had the right to feel you know it was definitely some mixed emotions coming off the you know a finals appearance that they came up you know, s- you know a little short. Um, obviously, giving away you know uh, Dale Davis, who, who was you know uh, one you know one of the fans' fa- uh, favorites, you know was was a lot to digest for you know, pretty much a, a young man that you know didn't didn't get a lot of opportunity in uh, in Portland. So it was a lot of unknown. Um, but I, I felt, always felt like they were giving me an opportunity. And I think most importantly, the, the biggest thing that I, I remember is just Reggie, you know, having the conversation with Reggie when I first got there. And he said, look, man, he said, you know, I'm not upset. You know, you know I, I'm, I'm going to let you be whatever you're going to be. You know, uh, you have a lot of talent. And it's, it's called, you know, whatever you decided to be or, or become in this league, it's going to be based off the work that you put in. And that really made me feel a lot more comfortable, to be quite honest. Uh, and then obviously been out in the community. The community always made me feel feel right at home, um, you know, and it, it was it, it allowed me to kind of develop and, and get into my craft at the level that I needed to. Um, and being able to represent the Indiana Pacers, you know, in the All-Star game meant a lot to me. 
Jermaine, when you look back on, as Jimmy mentioned, that trade, Jermaine O'Neal is our guest. I remember when you were with Portland, might have been your rookie year, and, and being at a game, and I think I was working at Channel 6 at the time, and and seeing you on the bench, and I remember thinking, like, man, the, you were a high school kid, basically, uh, you know, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I felt bad because you weren't on the floor. And then all of a sudden you get traded, and as you talked about, you were able to blossom. When you first yep. got the news that Indiana was bringing you here, was it more a feeling of pressure because of all that went into it or more a feeling of a freedom and an opportunity? Well, um, I, it definitely wasn't pressure because I was angry. Um, and I'm going to tell you why, because, you know, the first three years on the rookie scale back then, um, you know, I became a free agent and I had an opportunity uh, to go be a starter with four of the teams uh, in free agency. But at the time, we had just came up short in the Western Conference Finals uh, against uh, San Antonio, the great uh, corner three that Sean Elliott made but didn't put his heel down on the uh, on out-of-bounds line, um, which crushed us at the time. But uh, it was one of those scenarios where, you know, I felt like, you know, I was still young. Uh, I can go back to Portland and, you know, and still be able to contribute uh, at a high level. And, you know, what was been asked for me, and it was promised to me that I would, I would be able to play minimally 24 minutes a game. So I re-signed back with them for another four years, and then it got worse, right? And so when I got, when I got the call, and interestingly enough, I bumped into Isaiah Thomas. Uh, it's my first time ever meeting him at, in uh, Oakland at the, at the All-Star game. Uh, he was coming from something and I was going to the dunk contest and he grabbed my arm. He said, Hey, look, son, just keep doing what you're doing. People see you working. And as soon as he got the job, him and Donnie, you know, I literally had just got to Jamaica with my wife on vacation. And I tell you guys, I took the smallest prop plane uh, getting off that island when I got the call because um, I need I felt like I needed to get back as soon as possible. But it was an amazing call. I was ready. I was really ready for it. Um, because I had, I had got an opportunity to to practice against Rasheed Wallace, Brian Grant, Arvidi Sabonis, uh, Cliff, the late great Cliff Robinson. I mean, just so many people that I I was really you know having to sharpen my knife with and against on a day to day basis in practice. That when I got an opportunity to play in a game, it was actually a little bit easier. Now the consistency of trying to be good was harder. Um, because now it's not just about practice. you got to actually be good every single night. Um, and that was the biggest transition for me. What did Isaiah Thomas and Donnie Walsh do or mean to the maturation as a player or person of Jermaine O'Neal? It was amazing. Amazing. Um, a lot of people don't know this, though. Um, Isaiah stayed maybe three or four minutes away from me. Um and I used to spend a lot of time at his house. Just, you know, um, Mrs. Thomas cooked dinner a lot for me, and we just talked, like, night overnight overnight. And it was just, it was like a father figure, you know, um, you know, just, you know, giving his, giving his son some tutelage of what it means to be a pro, what, what it means to be a professional, what it means to be a businessman, what it means to be a father. Um, and that was, that, was, that was big for me. In particular, guys, I don't know if you guys know, I didn't meet my father until I was 30 years old, right? And, like, that was, like, a real thing for me. Um, and so to have an opportunity to have leadership uh, like I had with Isaiah and Donnie, uh, it, was pre- it was really, really amazing, guys. Um, 
without a, without a doubt. So then once you are playing and Isaiah's not here, how does a player battle with that? Was that tough for you? It was tough. It was tough. Um, it's actually interesting enough. Um, Isaiah was with me and the USA team in the Olympic qualifiers in, in Puerto Rico um, when he got called back to um, uh, to Indy, and then uh, and then the next day he was he was let go. Uh, that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, but I will tell you this: you know, the business is the business, um, and, and in many cases, like your personal feelings towards things. Um, cannot alter your long-term goals. Um, obviously, I would like to have had him as a coach, but we got Rick Carlisle as a coach that came in and did a really good job. Um, and, you know, my, my job was to continue to go out and, 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 and be better, um, learn more, um, and try to help the team win. And so, you know, once, once your feelings, once you take your feelings out of it, um, you know, you move on and, and, and you try to you try to be the best version of yourself that you can. You know, for your you know for yourself, your family, your team, and your city. Pacers great Jermaine O'Neal is our guest. Jermaine, I want to turn the clocks back. February ninth, two thousand three, Phillips Arena in Atlanta, East versus West, starting lineup <laughs> for the Eastern Conference: Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Ben Wallace, Jermaine O'Neal. Michael Jeffrey Jordan coming off the bench, at least in terms of the way that that All-Star game was set up, and it's MJ's final All-Star appearance. What do you remember about that game in 03? Well, a couple of things, right? Uh, the one that sticks out to me the most is the, is the phantom foul, right, that they called. You didn't on, foul Kobe. On, <laughs> it, it was, like, just, just crazy. Like, they called that, which was, was just ridiculous. But, you know, obviously, when you get a chance to play with, um, the greatest player that's ever played the game, uh, and Michael Jordan. Um, I remember him coming, and, and it's crazy. It, it was like a movie, right? He was Jordan. Michael Jordan has an aura that we we just haven't seen. Only maybe a handful of people, um, maybe Messi, and you know, maybe another, you know that level of athlete where you can hear him coming. Like we're in the locker room, but we can hear like the, the like it's like the. The cameras are just clicking, and you hear like the people, Michael, Michael, and it, and and it's it's faint, and then it gets louder, 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 and then he walks in, and it's like he's gliding across the floor, right? And it was like one of those things where, wow, I'm really in here with Michael Jordan, and I remember t- telling him, I said, you know, Michael, and I still have his shoes to this very day. I said, Mike, I said, either you're gonna sign those shoes, or I'm gonna steal them from you. And he said, well, you're not going to steal them, so I'm just going to go ahead and sign them for you. And he handed them to me, and that was like an amazing moment for me because obviously, you know, Michael is Michael, and, um, you know, he's he's just so legendary. And just to be in his, in his presence uh, meant a lot to me. And you still have them, right? Still have them, yes, sir. Yeah. Them. <laughs> I would hope, right? Uh, Jermaine O'Neal, <laughs> right. our guest. Jermaine, let me give you, as somebody who covered your whole career here in Indiana, let me give you the, the Jake Quarry-like summary, and then I want you to grade it and tell me how off base I am, okay? I recall it was later um, in your time here when you were talking about how you ultimately wanted to have your number retired here, and I I can't remember whether, and and it was not the brawl. I I don't know whether it was health or whatever it was, but I, I was watching it and I thought to myself, this is a guy that loves Indiana. This is a guy that loves the fans of Indiana. This is a guy that loves representing the Pacers, 
But for right now, it feels like, and I think this has changed, but in that moment towards the end that the fans didn't necessarily appreciate your love for it in the moment at the time and that it's taken time for everyone to figure that out. Is that a fair assessment? It is. And I, and let me just say this. Uh, that w- that's been the biggest challenge for me because I never really understood, you know, um, like the brawl itself um, was something that is, is really hard to explain and, and not just the brawl itself, but everything that happened afterwards. And, you know, I'm not sure if you guys watched that, that the, uh, you know, the uh, Netflix uh, deal. Uh, it took me about 10 years to put it together and, and finally got, you know, was able to really do a documentary that was people's true opinion, right? Just so everybody, that's, you guys know, and everybody's listening to this, we didn't film one scene together. So when I called everybody, I said, look, whatever your truth is, say it. I said, because I want to be able to say my truth, not, not, not to, you know, take a shot at the NBA or anybody else. Or, you know, it was more just kind of how I felt. And the thing was that a lot of people didn't know, and, and I don't know if they felt like it was arrogance or anything else that was connected to it, but we went through a process 10 years after that happened. Right? We, were, we wasn't allowed to speak on it. So whatever opinion that was made, or, or was, was pushed out there, or whatever narrative was, was pushed out there, we had to sit on it. And in particular with me, I had to sit on it. Another thing that people didn't know, that I actually took the NBA to court and won. See, people thought that I, I, that I had uh, finished my suspension. I was reinstated, right? Because a federal judge said I had the right to do what I, di- I did. And I say this respectfully. And this is something that, you know, obviously looking back at it, you know, and you're right, 100%. I've always wanted to finish my career in Indy to a point that I had Aaron tell him at the time who was my agent, uh, reach out to the patient and say, look, you know, even if it's a one day, I just want to finish standing up on my own two feet in the Indiana Pacers uniform, right? And, and for whatever reason, it didn't happen. That's fine. End up, you know, just, just you know, walking away without even announcing that I was going to retire. Um, but I will tell you guys this. Go back to what I was saying. When you're in a position of leadership, right, and, you know, all you see is, is, is a looped, like a looped, you know, guy sliding in there and punching somebody. Well, people don't realize that the same guy that I punched was on top of Anthony Johnson in a cast. So Anthony Johnson had a cast in the suit. If you, if you go back and you look at it, and again, in this process, we had to show, you know, the NBA had to show all 28 angles and, and take that to court. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, this looks different. Right, but nobody was there to support it because nobody knew how to handle it. We're talking about something that was just it was a national televised game. Right? And when you're not allowed to speak about it, then any and everybody can, can paint a narrative about you. And that's the thing that I was always disappointed about. Like it's like, well, why are people upset with me when you know when, when true, the true value of leadership isn't just in a corporate office? isn't just on a basketball court, isn't just in your house with your family. It's when you are being attacked, right? What can you do to help your others as a captain of a team, right? What can you do when, when, there's, no, when there's no security in there to help you, right? When it's just you and your teammates. I mean, you guys remember the, the police coming in trying to pepper spray you know, when, when Reggie got in the middle. It was that type of environment. But again, when, you know, we're so... We're so in tune to what we read and what we hear that we think that in some cases that that's actually true. And I'm just going to tell you, my job, even when I was able 10 years later, 
was able to even, you know, have a conversation, it wasn't about that because the NBA has been great to me. The Indiana Pacers was great to me, right? Like, I have nothing bad to say. I'm disappointed that it happened in general, right? But, you know, to, to say that, you know, I had ill wills towards anything or anybody or people had ill wills towards me because of that, then, you know, that's the biggest part that I was disappointed with. Jermaine, did you feel like that the – the documentary, which I thought was very well done, very well done. And, you know, Stephen Jackson, who I love, I mean, I love Stephen Jackson. And I think people, it would be hard for people to be around Stephen Jackson for more than an hour to not then go, yeah, I love that. That dude's just like loyal through and through. But did you feel like it accomplished what it was that you set out to accomplish, which was to just simply lay out and display the narrative from your guy's standpoint? You know, what's interesting. Um, it was the doc really wasn't really even for to, to, in my eyes for me personally, right? I wanted to create something that was, you know, was you know everybody can use it and tell their story, right? But it was more for me, mentally and emotionally. I've held that thing in for so long, and it it, it, it built up so much anger. Um, I, you know, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Netflix um, because I asked them. I said, on every rough cut, could you send it to me? And, you know, sometimes you lose you lose a battle in the, with the big boxes, right? You, you lose it. And they sent it to me every time. And I must have watched it maybe 11 or 12 times before it came out. And I tell you, fellas, I cried every single time. And every single time that I watched that thing, uh, it brought up some, another memory, right? And I probably watched it a total of 19, 20 times total. And every single time it was emotional because it was so much lost in that process. And people think about that, that scenario as a fight. Right? I'm a parent, too. Right? I'm a community leader. Right. And perception and to this very moment. Right. You know, I do a lot of stuff in Dallas right now. You know, we've had an amazing run with, you know, with some amazing players that now are in the NBA. Um, but, you know, kids still ask me about that. Right? And, and, and many of them weren't even born when it happened. So, that, so it's still a thing. Right. And so I, I just think from that perspective, like like doing that doc allowed me to to excel a little bit and take it, you know, and, and take it, you know, you know, put myself in a, in a position where now I can just go on with my life and, and not have to worry about it. You know, when I hear about it now, I smile a little bit, you know, when somebody brings it up, I say, look, you know, unfortunate, you know, don't like to talk much about it, but you know, it happened. And so, and then, or I just say, Hey, look, go check it out on Netflix. Right. Where, you know, so they can have something to base their opinion off of. Are you finally free of it? I am free. I am free. Um, you know, um, I'm always, you know, I have a three one seven number. You know, I've, I've touched many other cities since I've, I've been, I've been from there. But um, you know, I can go anywhere in the world and be recognized, and I'm gonna be recognized as a pacer. You know, many people, many people don't even know that the, that, the, that the Trailblazers drafted me. People think the, the Pacers drafted me, right? Because you know, just so they've they've given me an opportunity, and the Simons family has given me an opportunity to live a life that I could ever dreamed about. The NBA has given me an opportunity to live a life and and and, and live a dream that many don't get to do. And I can always go back and say, you know what? I lived the dream uh, at its fullest. I've learned a lot, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent of it. Um, and now I can give that information back to, you know, Jermaine Jr. now, um, who is inspiring to be, you know, a basketball player. Or the same information to my daughter, you know, who's now a pro volleyball player um, and hopefully getting ready for the Olympics. And any other person, any other kid or family that's in the community or what it takes to be successful and the pitfalls of success. Pacers great. Jermaine O'Neal is our guest.
Jermaine, I know there's mutual love from the city of Indianapolis and from Pacers fans for your career to the point that whenever you have a player like yourself where they end up away from the franchise and they have different spots in their career, you want them to win a ring. I was one of those people. I know a lot of Pacers people are the same way. And you're at Golden State effectively if you just look at your career bio a year too early. And I read a piece the other day that I was not aware of at the time, but it came out in 2016 that you did with Sports Illustrated. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation today, you did not meet your real father until you were 30. How much, and this piece reveals it, but for those that don't know, how much did family, and you mentioned Jermaine Jr. already, how much did family play a role in deciding, you know, I could stick around Golden State or I could make one more push at a title, but it's time to spend time with family. And how tough was that decision? Uh, the family was was number was number one um, on that decision. Uh, I, you know, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, when Golden State called me back, obviously Bob Myers used to represent me uh, when he was on the agent side. Uh, with he worked on the R and Tell him. Um, so, you know, it was, I had a great one year with them and had an opportunity to bring some leadership to the table. You know, I think Bob always speaks about it. He still, he still speaks about it on television, crazy enough, but, um, th- it was hard for me because I, the year before I was with Phoenix, I was with Phoenix cause I just got a treatment, um, uh, orthokine treatment from Germany that, uh, the late great Kobe Bryant made famous. Um, he's actually, I actually went over there with him to get it and I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, and so I, I needed to go to a situation where, um, you know, expectation wasn't high. Um, so Phoenix was young. I told my wife and kids, Hey, look, just, let's, we're going to, we're going to put our roots into Dallas. You guys go ahead and stay there. And that was hard. That was the first time that I hadn't stayed with my family. And then I started to see a little bit of change with my son. Uh, and then my daughter was like, Hey, like, you know, dad, you know, it's time, right? I, I want you at my games. And then obviously she ended up having the heart situation. So, um, I, you know, I probably could have played physically, probably could have played 20 years, like two more years. Um, but I just emotionally didn't have anything left because, you know, the very thing that has supported me in, in all of my down years. And even to be honest, you know, from my, um, ability to, uh, feel accepted, you know, for my father, my wife and my kids, uh, fill that void. Right. And, um, yeah, I just felt like it was time to give back because they had sacrificed so much of their, or what they wanted and what they needed, uh, for me to play 18 years. Um, and you have to remember, I met my wife at 17. Um, so she went through an entire process of, of everything, uh, of the, of the growth of, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, um, and learning how to be everything that I needed to be. Um, so, it just made more sense for me to retire. They tried to get me to come back. To, to they wanted. I'm gonna be honest. Tears on my tears came down my eyes when I watched the celebration of them winning the first year, and then they asked me again to come back, and I was like, "Well, guys, I just I literally tried to get back in shape, and I physically I got going, but mentally it was just it was over." How much did meeting your dad when you did, and and seeing kind of a crossroads moment with your career and your family that late in life? How much did that impact your decision? A lot. You know, um, you know, I raised my kids how I wanted my dad to raise me. Now, I've, you know, for so long, I've dealt with abandonment issues. And that's why, you know, that's why 
the brawl has such an impact on me, right? Because you work so hard to be in a position um, of leadership, be in a position of, you know, people loving you and, and, and they appreciating everything that you do. Um, and that's why I was so big in the communities when I was there. Um, but then you, you meet your dad at 30, and you're 13 years into the league, and, you know, um, you know, quick long story short, my my my, my grandmother and my mother tricked me into going because I had I did have a certain anger towards him, and then you know I walked up to him, brought my kids, my grandma said bring 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 my my grandbabies, and I brought my daughter, and my son, and it was like the best moment for me because, you know, I just told him I was I was able to tell him, hey, look, you know, look at these kids, I raised them exactly how I wanted you to raise me, and that took a lot of weight off my shoulders because I'd never had a conversation with them before. Right, and so having that conversation was amazing, um, but a lot of a lot of things went unanswered because he ended up dying like 13 months later, right? And so I never really had, you know, you know, I had to learn everything about me as a man, uh, father, husband, whatever you want to call it, is is in the, I, I'm learning on the fly. You know, I've never had a moment where I can call my dad and say, look, you know, I need help, or you know, what's your thoughts, or this or that. It is literally me learning on the fly, and I've been truly blessed to have some amazing people um a high school coach who you guys probably uh, know of he he's passed over the last couple of years but he was amazing to the growth uh people like isaiah you know um teammates you know i've had a lot of mix uh of people to help try to you know patch up you know that emotional void in my life well how important was it for you jermaine with that 13 month period between when you meet your father and then you lose your father, but to be able to have him pass with you having the opportunity to put away the anger, if you will, or work through it and finally get kind of a closure with an opening, if that makes sense, of the relationship. You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if I had closure. Um, I think I had enough. Uh, saying that was enough to 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 have me view things differently. Um a little bit differently, you know. Interesting enough, you were know, you able to forgive scenario, him? I guess. Did you have a forgiveness? Oh, for sure, I, have, I had a forgiveness. Um, it, we, we actually ended up having a little disconnect um, once, you know. Um, once I left from there, you know, I was pretty excited. <clears throat> excuse me, I was pretty excited about, you know, the opportunity of him being a friend. You know, because yeah, at that point, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you know, I know what the true, me- the true meaning of being a dad is, right? I, I, that I know. Um, so it was more about creating that friendship, and then he wrote me a letter, um, and it was more just without getting too deep into it. It was more about me doing things for him, and that that was the crushing blow, um, because then at that point it was never like you know, again as a dad, like I know what it means to make you know spelling bees and you know, being there for your kids and, you know, teach them how to, you know, ride bikes and, and just being there mentally and emotionally for them and have that situation happen. It was, it was pretty rough. And I was, I was upset uh, about that. And then, you know, we didn't have any more conversations. I ended up getting a call from my sister saying that he was, uh, he was killed in a car accident. So, um, you know, it's closure wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't call it closure. Um, I, I, it was a it was it was a healing moment for me. Jermaine O'Neal is our guest. All Star Weekend is here. He was a six time All Star, and Jermaine, I think the thing, and I want you to to kind of I guess in to encapsulate it all, touch on this. Um, in conclusion, 
just in listening to you talk and knowing your story, I covered your the majority of your career. There are a lot of things here that I didn't know. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's pretty darn cool to be a six-time All-Star and to start an All-Star game and to come back to the city where you played and were an All-Star. But it all seems to almost be secondary to the game that you were striving on a regular basis to be the best at, and that is simply the one away from the court of basketball and just in the people around you and the things and the challenges and the timeouts that were placed before you at no choice of yours. Have you ever been able to sit back and really truly grasp all of that? Um, I think I have it in spurts, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, I continue to search for uh, God's calling for me and His will, and a lot of it has been with kids. Um, you know, we have a lot of deficiencies in our in our homes, whether you you know suburban America, middle middle class America, inner city America, right? It's just it's just deficiencies, and you know the great game of basketball was the healing was a healing factor, and it gave me an opportunity to continue to educate myself in areas that just that I wasn't able to do it in you know growing up, right? And as I continue to learn, you know about these things, um, you know obviously challenges happen, um, you know you go through you know your moments. Um, but you continue to push forward. And I would always say to people, it's like, you know, when you look at people, you know, you never know what they're going through, right? And, you know, as a basketball player, you know, the things that, you know, you think matters to you the most, you think as when you watch a basketball player, that basketball matters to you the most. But when you have deficiencies emotionally, you know, um, that, you know, you find that that your family and, and the people that you love the most matters the most. Right. And those that that's, you know, when things happen, like the ball or injuries or whatever it is, you know, you feel like you have to rely on, you know, that and, and, and on people. And I will say this, guys, um, you know, being able to come back, I have not been to an all-star game uh, since I played in it. And to be quite honest, um, I hadn't, I have not loved basketball because I felt like, um, to the point, you know, going through that situation, you know, for so many years, you know, the brawl situation, it was like the equivalence of being married and watching your wife do you wrong in front of you, but you can't really react to anything, right? And and that's just the core truth, right? And, you know, so I stayed away from it, right? I wouldn't do television. I wouldn't do anything. Like I just stayed away from it and just wanted to put my head down. But when I heard it was coming to Indy, um, I said, look, let me let me pick my head up, I, you know, from where I'm where I'm at, and you know, let's go enjoy it. You know, I think Indy, Indy deserves you know these moments. Um, it's a lot of hard hat, good people, uh, very supportive fans. You know, uh, sports town, and so to be able to get it, I love I had to come and be a part of it. Jermaine O'Neal, I think. Listen, you you were a great player here, and I think that there were probably misconceptions about you, and. I think that we as a city and as a fan base and a media have worked through those same things in better understanding you. And I think you're a damn good representation for this city and for this franchise. And uh, I think a lot of people should be and will be very proud to not only have you back in Indianapolis, but uh, to be able to also allow you to kind of get back to embrace the game that embraced you for a long time as well. We appreciate certainly the time today. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That is Jermaine O'Neal, again, a six-time All-Star, one of four 
players to start an NBA game or excuse me, start an all-star game as an Indiana Pacer. Tyrese Halliburton will be the fourth, I should say, coming up. Uh, appreciate the kind words from people that sent in during that interview. Also, thanks to Eddie for helping put it together because we recorded that previously. Um, and as uh, you know, I was honest about that with you folks. I thought there was a lot in there that you would want to hear. Also, in the time that that interview was airing, the following was posted, and I wanted to get to it immediately. This posted on Facebook by Don Pollard at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. That is the wife, of course, of former Pacer Scott Pollard, who many of you know went to Vanderbilt in waiting and in anticipation of a heart transplant, with the challenge being the fact that Scott Pollard, with his size, finding a donor that would have a match was a huge challenge. Uh, This was just posted by Don Pollard. Quote, Scott wanted me to let everyone know the pre-heart transplant hair is gone because it's go time. After a roller coaster ride of emotions, a few hours of hearts um, that got our hopes up and down, they finally found the one. They took him back for surgery. Please keep the prayers coming for Scott, their surgeons, for the donor and his family who lost their loved one. This donor gave the most amazing gift of life, and we are forever grateful. So that news about Scott Pollard coming in the last couple of minutes. That's awesome. Uh, We will take a recess. We'll come back and kind of rehash all of it. Thank you to those who sent the kind words. If you want to chime in on what Jermaine O'Neal had to say, I think kind of a healing process between Jermaine O'Neal and perhaps the fan base of Indianapolis, 239-1070 is the telephone number. It's a Friday here on Quarry Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the ultimate goal when you do radio, admittedly, so I appreciate this message. I'm afraid to switch over from the car to my ear Bluetooth, so I sit here in the garage 110% enthralled and invested in this interview. I really hope those at the Pacers who need to hear it, hear this, hear it, not just listen to this, but hear it, uh, but to hear him. Hashtag bring J.O. home. Um, I thought it was a very, as I mentioned, honest interview from Jermaine. There were some parts in it that, you know, the, the, the part that truly, I don't know that I totally grasped it when he was saying it, but after the fact, you know, when he talked about meeting his father for the first time, and being optimistic and excited about that and then immediately following that getting a letter from his dad that basically spelled out the things that his dad was hoping that Jermaine could do for him um the that that would be a tough thing to go through uh, you know fortunately I, I i did not have to go through that but it would be tough to have somebody that that you were counting on for the better part of your childhood not be there, and then finally, when you're needing them to be there for you, you find out that they simply want you to be there for them. That would be a challenge. And to be able to have 
the type of character and a big enough heart to, as he mentioned to you, still have forgiveness sent that way. And additionally, to make really like, look, we often forget that professional athletes are human beings, but for a lot of players, getting the opportunity to win an NBA championship, even if it's as a role player or any title for that matter, to win the ultimate prize of your sport means more than anything. And to be able to have that resolve and that much care for your family at a crossroads moment for him, and he was incredibly open and honest about that, that it was always family first for him. Because he he could have stayed. He could have stayed in Golden State. And he could have racked up a couple of titles with the Warriors, with where he was in his career and where they were from a roster construction standpoint. And for him to say, no, I'm going to put my family first, I am comfortable walking away is is just it's incredibly powerful and it takes a very big human being to be able to do that. And on top of it, Jake, like I don't I get it. I know the Pacers don't do this a lot and I know the conversation has come up in the past, but I would like someday whether it's a retired jersey, whether it's some type of acknowledgement for Jermaine O'Neal to to properly get his flowers because I think he mattered a great deal and still does to Pacers fans everywhere, especially those in my generation. I think he was a great player, for sure. And I think he's a great ambassador and a great all of it, right? Um, retired jerseys, to me, are like banners to me. I mean, that's and that's and I mean, that is no slight to him. To me, that, that comes with a longer tenured service. And that wasn't necessarily entirely his fault. I get it, right? There's a, it's, his legacy here is complicated. It's complicated. Um, in terms of the all-star games that have been played in Indianapolis, 85 and then currently, I want you to tell me which team would win head-to-head. You ready? <laughs> okay. We'll go with the East. The current East team, Bam Adebayo, Giannis, Paolo Banquero, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Maxey, Damian Lillard, Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. Against Bill Lambeer, Moses Malone, Sidney Moncrief, Robert Parrish, Michael Ray Richardson, Isaiah Thomas, Bernard King, Michael Jordan, Dennis Johnson, Julius Irving, Terry Cummings, and Larry Bird. Give me the old guys. Yeah. You got to go with the old guys. Yeah, I got to go with the old guys there. Okay. The West. All right. Currently, Devin Booker, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Luca, Kevin Durant, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Kawhi Leonard. Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Paul George. It's pretty stout, right? It's insane, yeah. Against the 85 West team. Larry Nance, Calvin Natt, Norm Nixon, Akeem Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson, Jack Sigma, Magic Johnson, George Gervin, Alex English, Adrian Dantley, Rolando Blackman, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'll take the new school. I think you might be right in that. Now, that leads to this then. Head-to-head, Devin Booker, Paul George, Steph Curry, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns versus Larry Bird, Bill Lambeer, Terry Cummings, Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Sidney Moncrief, Dennis Johnson, Robert Parrish, Michael Jordan, Michael Ray Richardson, Bernard King, Isaiah Thomas. Buzzer beater goes to the new school. 
You may be right. The depth of the new school feels – I mean, there's some great players there. I mean, obviously you've got Jordan, who kind of wasn't yet Jordan to be fair, but Bird, Parrish, Isaiah. I mean, Dennis Johnson was very underrated. Moses Malone was a beast. Julius Irving by 85 was – he was, the, the fuel light was starting to come on a little bit there. I mean, that team... There, there, there's so much size as well on that team, but with the amount of shooters that are present on today's roster, I think they offset one another to some extent. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty I big... I mean, Kareem, would, Kareem, and, Kareem and Hakeem would eat alive Carl Anthony Towns. There's no doubt about that, <laughs> but I think Steph would run circles over anybody that's trying to... You're right. I mean, it's the game has changed a lot, right? I, 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 here's the better way of saying it. Which 85 All-Star most translates to today's game? I mean, the Pro- obvious answer is Jordan here, Pro- right? Probably, probably Jordan, Bird, or Magic. Probably Bird to a great extent, right? Yeah, I'd say one of those. Because three. of his passing ability and just his, you know what I mean? He could shoot from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, eighty-five Jordan. To be fair, was not a great outside shooter. So sure. he, now, if we're talking about ninety-six Jordan, different ball game. But, but, but eighty-five at, Jordan was not yet an outside shooter. I'm looking at. Not just a one-off year for the player. I'm talking about how would they develop in today's NBA. And I feel like 85 Jordan is still young enough where he could grow the same way as he did at the latter half of his career, maybe even accelerated so. And Magic and Bird, as you mentioned, both not just their scoring ability, but as passers, I think, easily translate. Yeah, the... But I've always been a believer you could take any great player, drop him in any era, and they're going to succeed. That's always... That's probably true, yeah. I'm... There's nuances for sure. But. Two guys in that list, two guys on that list are grossly historically underrated. Two of them, to me. Two of them, we forget about how great they were. I'll tell you that. Kevin Bowen coming up top of the hour as well. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The two most over, or excuse me, underrated, underappreciated players of that 85 All-Star team. I'll tell you who is a beast that nobody talks about is Moses Malone. Moses Malone was a beast. And straight out of high school guy, ABA guy, and then into the NBA. But man, he was a final piece for Philly with Dr. J when they won it. And then the other guy that, you know, we you certainly hear, hear him mentioned, but Akeem Olajuwon was a... I think people forget how great Akeem Olajuwon was. And he is a classic example of the importance, Jimmy, of, of players growing up playing multiple sports. We live in a world now where so many people do year-round sports and focus on, like, at nine years old. Well, my son's the number five, ninth, nine-year-old, you know, left-handed batter in America, whatever, and he's only playing baseball or he's only playing soccer or only playing basketball. Girls, too. Two of the great players of the last 30 years in the NBA are Akeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan will be the first to tell you that the reason he was so great was because he played soccer as a youngster, then became a swimmer, and the the range of motion that that gave him and the footwork it gave him 
made him the player he became. And Elijah Wan's footwork was unbelievable. Rick, what did Rick Smith say? Was the player he had the biggest challenge with? Because his spin and his low block moves were incredible. And when he grew up in Nigeria, you know, he played soccer. The footwork was incredible. I think the reason that Hakeem and Duncan and Duncan winds up with five titles. So maybe there's an argument that he eventually gets remembered, but they get dwarfed by in Elijah Wan's case, as many players in that era did, even though he wins back to back in Houston, Jordan is the first one. And you think about the bulls and the dynastic run, and it's easy to forget momentarily about Elijah Wan. Same thing. I think is true to some extent with Duncan and the Spurs because of what the Lakers did over that same span. But I don't know that they're, completely like forgotten about but because you have two pinnacle stars in both those eras sometimes it takes a second to be like oh yeah that's right the Rockets also won two titles in there and Akeem the Dream was as iconic a player as you're going to find in the league now I always get a kick out of this sentiment and I know that somebody said it somewhat flippantly somewhat seriously right but somebody just sent me the thing the old school guys win because the the, the new school guys are too soft and can't handle uh, yes the physical I for, play. I forgot to account for the softness of now, today's now, NBA. That's my fault. Let me just throw this out, okay? Good lord. Let me let me throw this out. Bill Lambeer. Who's the enforcer on that East team? Bill Lambeer. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking something up here because I always get a kick out of Jordan had to go against Rick Mahorn and and Rodman in the lane. I don't. LeBron didn't have to go up against Rick Mahorn and Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley. Bill Lambeer, 6'11", 245. LeBron James, 6'9", 250. LeBron James, 6'9", 250, right? Yep. Charles Oakley, is he the enforcer that we're going with for the the Knicks? He was the the goon, right? The guy that you didn't want to, like, don't go down the middle, man. Charles Oakley's standing there waiting for you. Six foot nine, two hundred and fifty pound LeBron James is going to be worried when six foot eight, two hundred and forty five pound Charles Oakley's waiting on him. See, here's what happens: people of the previous generation see today's NBA, and I get it. the The way they allow players and freedom of movement is much different than it was. That is definitely true. But additionally, you you have a lot more flopping and selling of calls that are actually going to get you whistles in today's NBA than back then. But you can have that criticism, but you can't forget about the fact that LeBron James is built like a Mack truck. Yeah. You, LeBron is a prime example when I say you could drop any player in any era and they're going to be okay. LeBron James is one of those names that you could put in any era and he's going to be just fine. Here's a great point from Matt. Larry Bird was European players, what European players are now. His game would transcend the times. That's probably yeah, I agree true. With that. yeah. uh, Allen makes a good point. It's easily Ralph Sampson. Probably because Sampson could play. I mean, he could bring the ball up the well, We kind of tried to ask him that earlier this week, right? Like, how would you? And he was more than confident, as he should have been, that he would have been able to yeah, make it in today's he NBA. Would. He definitely no doubt. would. Uh, Kevin Bowen does the morning show, took a nap, and joins us next. Final app. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Power of today's program, snow starting to fall here on Monument Circle, for that matter, everywhere in the city of Indianapolis, at least last I checked. 
I was going to say, how do you know that? I walked out a little <laughs> bit ago and saw it. I felt bad because they got a couple basketball hoops set up with some a rack of basketballs where you can do like three-point shoot. They got all kinds of stuff set up on the circle, and uh, right now it's in the middle of a snowstorm. Not going to be all weekend long, though. So Those poor two workers by that hoop look down at them. They just want some kids to come and shoot some hoops. No and just no, no one's braving the snow right now. But it's temporary, I think, so it should yeah. be a very good weekend, and there's certainly plenty to do. Joining us now on the program, you hear him in the morning with Andy Sweeney. On the wake-up call with KB and Andy, last night they were part of the podcast with Adrian Wojnarowski and Tyrese Halliburton at the Vogue. So, Kevin, I'll begin with this, Kevin Bowen. Uh, anything come out of that in terms of anything that Halliburton or Woj may have said that kind of perked your ear up a little bit just in terms of maybe news you didn't previously know or was it more so just kind of a fun conversation yeah I think there were some you know items that certainly people will find interesting Halliburton told a great story about finding out via the trade to Indy via Woj he was so confused by it all so that that, that was kind of a fun laugh um, he went more into the wanting to come back for that Portland game and the 65-game threshold, you know, kind of playing into that. Also, you know, the, the presence of Pascal Siakam and that being his debut playing into that. Um, but that had been a game that, you know, really without the 65-game threshold, he probably sits for the entire Western Conference break. And obviously it's been a really hot-button topic and something we tossed Adam Silver's way earlier in the week when he had him on and, you know, I, I just feel like I watch Halliburton in these in those settings, and I just think he gets it off the floor. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure there could be some people, oh, you're just, you know, carrying his water. Um, I just think he does. I think he flat out gets it. Um, and that's really, really important. Uh, sadly, it hasn't always been the case here. And Indy, with that type of player, I think he fully embraces what the Pacers need from him as well, on and off the floor. And uh, I think he'll be on Team USA. I, I don't <laughs> Maybe I'm reading tea leaves too much. I don't think Grant Hill, Team USA director, does that. If, if he looks at Halliburton as a guy that he's not going to put on the Olympic team later this year. So, really fun night. Um, and, yeah, it was a great, great turnout. Man, I hope you're right on that. My Shout-out to my wife, Haley. But uh, she's barred me from buying jerseys uh, because I have too many. Uh, but I'll, I would gladly buy a Team USA Tyrese Halliburton jersey. Let's go, baby. That would be, be spectacular. I mean, does he not scream like, hey, Tyrese, you want to be our eighth, ninth guy, and if we need you for a bigger role, obviously we feel like you can do that. But, I mean, isn't he pretty accepting of that? Like, to me, he just – when you're filling out a 12-man team, you're not looking for 12 gunners. You're not looking for 12 dudes that, you know, simply are the best score for their team. I mean, you're trying to put a puzzle together. And I don't know. I, I mean, probably I'm a little biased, but I just think it makes a lot of sense. And, and honestly, I thought he looked – you know, and played that role pretty well for the World Cup team, you know, last uh, last fall. Yeah, I mean, he would be a, a yes man in the sense that he would do anything that was asked of him and, and do it at a high level. I'm I'm right there with you. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airwaves on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kev, I, I know Woj wouldn't have released anything directly to you in this regard, but from your perspective as a fellow journalist in your own right, and covering this team, be it on the airwaves or in print every now and again, does it feel weird this All-Star weekend not having the looming shadow of the trade deadline since this was the first year they had it before the All-Star event? And I think that's the plan moving forward. Huh, I guess I never really uh, put that together schedule-wise 
um, that it was before. Yeah, but now that you say that, I do remember guys being asked about it, like at All Star Day Media Day, and that that was pretty awkward. I mean, certainly, you know, Seattle. Well, I guess Seattle's not an All Star, but I mean, you, you certainly have guys being asked about it a whole lot leading in the deadline. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. It's funny we, we I'm sitting there last night at the Vogue, and you know, having to be staring at Adrian Wojnarowski because I guess I'm weird. And I'm like, gosh, I wonder how many phones he has on him right now. Like, uh, this is very – I'm watching this man, like, operate here in the flesh. And next thing you know, I look down at my phone. I'm like, wait a minute. I just have a notification from the, from Adrian Ward. Wait, he's right over there. And Danilo Gallinari to the Bucks was the big uh, Woj bomb that he uh, set off last night about 640. So he comes over and he goes, oh, sorry about that. J- j- just had to do something work-wise. I'm like, yeah. I saw it here uh, on my phone. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was, a, I don't know, a little bit of a funny moment, at least for for me. But it, it probably makes sense for the league. I mean, you don't want your marquee event to you know, be overshadowed, I think, by those rumors. I think the NBA does a nice job of you know, making sure that, you know, honestly, a lot of the off-the-court stuff is headline stuff when it comes to roster movement and things like that. Fans eat it up. Fans absolutely love it. But at the same time, and again, something that Adam Silver said to us earlier this week, and I guess I've never viewed the All-Star game in this light, but he's like, you know, this is our Super Bowl. Uh, this is our neutral site event. This is our plan multiple ahead, um, you know, multiple years ahead sort of ordeal. And, and obviously the Super Bowl is that for the NFL, but, you know, the NBA Finals is not that for the NBA. You don't know, you know, what cities you're going to be in until late May and early June. So I kind of made sense when Silver started to explain this weekend like that. Well, it's also – one game right as or one one weekend as opposed to the finals where you've got you know you're going back and forth between cities and you know multiple games and etc um and it becomes you know the all-star game kevin as you know you know just a a a cultural celebration of basketball and pop culture and music and i mean it's more than just the game itself right it's certainly more so than it would have been in 1985 kevin bowen is our guest kevin before we get to uh, football because there is some news in the NFL today as well Uh, in sticking with the basketball theme I know that you will be covering it for our station website notably what sort of things will you be doing just in terms of coverage or events will you be taking in over the course of the weekend yeah I mean certainly uh, you know Tyrese Halliburton as a a starter I mean just thinking about his day yesterday I mean he goes down I mean first off what they land at 2 or 3 a.m. from from Toronto, he goes down for practice at Lucas Oil, um, gets back up, does, you know, Pat McAfee's show in person, back downtown, you know, giveaway, I think like apparel giveaway and backpack giveaway to the kids at Christmas Attics High School. Um, you know, he does the two-seater with Connor Daly at that Bicentennial Unity Plaza. You know, he's pretty much the, you know, main attraction there alongside some other very important people from Larry Bird and Oscar Robertson, Tamika Ketchings, et cetera, Mike Epps, all those people. And then he's back at the Vogue uh, for that Woj pod. And, and I know that, you know, again, the Team USA element to him means a whole, whole lot. So wanting to make that sort of impression on Grant Hill. And then he saw one more event last night. So just kind of tracking his entire weekend. I mean, he, he's going to be an extremely – Busy human. Uh, I, you know, I'm not. I, I don't care too too much about the game overall. I know some guys have talked about it being more competitive. I don't. I mean, I guess I'll believe it when I see it. I don't see why all of a sudden it would rise in that. I, you know, guys have said, well, Giannis is a guy that sets the tone a lot, and you know, him playing in the game this year versus last year is going to make a difference. Again, I don't care too much, but. You know, and I don't know if we get this answer for them this weekend. But Andy and I debated this a little bit in the nine o'clock hour. I mean, do we ever see this 
again, in our lifetime. I mean, for myself, you know, born in 1989, you know, this has been it for me. I mean, do we see any sort of you know, cycle or rotation? It seems like the NBA All-Star game is not like the NFL, and the NFL seemingly is like a, you know, whatever, Miami, New Orleans, L.A., something else out west, maybe tossing Atlanta rotation for Super Bowls, and the Midwest, unless you build a new stadium, you got uh, no prayer at, at getting one, so... Certainly, just selfishly for our city, I hope it all goes really, really well. And, you know, this doesn't become once every 40 type of year thing and become, you know, maybe once every 20 or 25 years. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I mean, obviously, the it is kind of amazing, Kevin, when you think about it, Kevin Bowen, our guest, that the building itself is 20 plus years old and it's the first time it's getting it, you know, because typically those things are kind of the enticement for getting a new building. You know what I mean? Um, one would right. assume it would Especially not be the Cambridge Fieldhouse, right? Yeah, I mean, you know this full well. You know, I've talked about this before. I mean, the NFL is build a new stadium and, you, and you'll get a Super Bowl. The right. NBA is not that. I mean, you know, what was what was Conceco, 98, 99? Like, I'm trying to think of the initial year that it was built. So, and, and here we are. You know, 2021 was the original All-Star game before it was postponed due to COVID for this building. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, bigger picture-wise, um, do we see something – returner because we don't I mean and again I'm not gonna act like the combine is a Super Bowl but I don't know maybe the NFL views that as like yeah we don't need uh whatever extend an olive branch to a city like that um I don't know maybe the NBA will start to view Indianapolis differently maybe Halbert's presence uh, I know it's a lot to put on his plate maybe the fact that you know again it is so basketball heaven um maybe that aspect gets us a little bit more into a Again, every 20-year sort of thing. I can see it now. 40 years from now, we're going to be like, uh, the Combine has extended with Indianapolis for one more year <laughs> for the 40th straight year. Speaking of the NFL, by the way, Kevin Bowen, our guest. Uh, Kevin, within, I think, the course of when we've been on the air today, maybe it was earlier today, but uh, did you see the news from the NFL standpoint that Jimmy Garoppolo has been hit with a performance-enhancing suspension and as a result is expected to be released by the Raiders? I did, yeah, um, yeah. I did see that. Then, like two games, was it two games? Well, that's that, what I was going to ask you. I, you know, I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo being released is huge news in Indianapolis. But what I was curious about was what what suspension is two games? I thought it's like always minimum of like four or six or whatever it was. Yeah, PEDs I know is six. So that was Grover Stewart. That was Al Qadim Muhammad. And I boy, insert your joke about Jimmy Garoppolo and his good looks and taking something for that, that all of a sudden uh, led him to be out for two games. Yeah, I, I would have to, and boy, this sounds like a, just a miserable activity to do on a Friday afternoon, but I guess look outside. It is snowing. Uh, I have to look at um, the collective bargaining agreement and, and look at, I, I did that for Grovers, and, and that, again, that was six games for PDs. Boy, I can't even recall Colts players only getting two games from yeah. the league. I, I'd never, um, I mean... I don't know. I found it interesting. I'd never heard of a two-game, yeah. to be honest with you, suspension. Yeah, yeah. I got I got no idea, to be honest. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him weekdays, 7 and 10 a.m. on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. He'll be out and about throughout covering All-Star Game festivities and All-Star Weekend festivities for 107.5 The Fan. Kevin, your midseason, whether it's grade, whether it's analysis, however angle you want to take with this, on the Indiana Pacers, knowing that they are still clearly in an adjustment phase, not just from the Pascal Siakam trade and getting Tyrese Halliburton back fully healthy and Benedict Matherin as well, but post-Buddy Heald with how they look. I know they close with a couple strong wins and are 
if it ended today, which it doesn't, but if it ended today, they'd be a playoff team, not a play-in team. Your overall analysis, first half of the season for the Sirs. Yeah, I'd say a very complicated, like, high B. Um, it just, it's been such kind of an up-and-down nature to get to that point. But, you know, the start of the year, my goals for the Pacers were five or six seed, 45 games, at least 45 wins. And right now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they are exactly on pace for 45. And, you know, right now they are the sixth seed. So, um, you know, if I'm going to set that as the preseason expectation and then just kind of general eye test of watching it unfold, yeah, I would say a high B. Um, it's weird, though, because I, I just – I don't know how you guys feel, but I sit here and I'm like, what the hell are we about to see these final 26 games? And I, and I say that about the Pacers, but honestly, I say that about the league in general. I, I can't recall – and I know, like, a lot of it can be, you know, whatever, coach speak or, you know, league speak, but I cannot recall seeing both conferences. I mean, certainly Boston is the class of the East, but both conferences this jumbled here – at the All-Star break, particularly the West. I mean, the West is crazy jumbled. And when you talk about marquee teams in the plane, if I'm not mistaken, I think – I want to say, like, their playing right now would be Luka, the Kings, the Warriors, and the Lakers. <laughs> I mean, that is – that's crazy to think that those four teams will be in those one-game playoffs. And then the East, you know, two through really eight, um, if you have a good week, all of a sudden – you know, Orlando or Miami could go from eight to three. And if you're the, you know, if you're Cleveland or whoever up top, I mean, look at Philadelphia's kind of recent nosedive. You could fall pretty quickly. Now, the good news for the Pacers is I want to say only one back to back the rest of the way. Um, on paper, it's a very manageable schedule. I totally get that they have not taken advantage of those types of opponents this season. But, man, they've got to get healthy. Um, and they certainly have some questions to figure out with their second unit meshing that together. Um, you know, obviously Aaron Neesmith's health. I mean, that is a, to me, he's, I think he's more indispensable than Siakam. And, and I don't say that as a shot at Siakam at all. Um, I say that because I think Aaron Neesmith means that much when you combine both ends of the floor. And so, I mean, that is a big question. So, yeah, I just, I sit here and think, man, uh, nice, you know, first 60 or whatever, however many games they played, 55 games, something like that. But I also sit here with a ton of confusion on exactly what we're going to see from this team in the final 26, I guess one thing that's kind of popping in my head to go back to Jake's early question about, you know, what we learned last night from Halliburton, you know, for those that have watched Halliburton speak in these long form, you know, he's done done like JJ Reddick's podcast. And to me, it's a great listen. I I just think Halliburton is a great basketball mind. It's amazing to me how organically he will bring up the lack of never playing in a playoff game. I mean, he just like, <laughs> I don't know, if I felt like I had that on the resume, I might like hide from that. I might not want to bring it up, but he brings it up so much. And I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, clearly it's on his mind. Clearly he's motivated by it. Clearly he wants that to change. But um, not only do I think it needs to change, I think you need to start to win in the postseason too. Because, you know, brought this stat before. I mean, six years without a playoff win, period. Nine years without a playoff series win. You know, it's time to put numbers we're not used to in this market with this franchise. It's time to put those uh, to rest. Kevin Bowen is our guest. By the way, Kevin, um, I got clarification here just for the sake of the audience. Garoppolo apparently had a therapeutic medication that is legal if you get prior consent from the NFL, but he did not get the written consent ahead of time before he took it, thus the two-game suspension, just to kind of put a tie on that. Um in terms of the Pacers, well, in Las Vegas can mean a lot of things. To be fair, well, that is true. I mean, you ain't kidding there, right? I'm going to be there next weekend, by the way. 
Um, do you want any souvenirs back from Las Vegas, Kevin? Anything I need to bring you back? <laughs> um, knowing you, you will you will come up with a great idea. Yeah, souvenirs in Vegas, another phrase that I don't know if I want to hear. So, um, uh-huh. I will trust. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust Shannon more than you, but uh, sure. <laughs> He'll get you some it. M&Ms from the M&M store. That's there right. You go. That's so. right, because you know, you, they're so hard to find now. Yeah, man. exactly. Um, Kev, you were talking about the Pacers in the, in the rest of the year. Look, this franchise, for people that are Pacer fans, it, there are two different examples that you could go by. You know, People forget that the 94 team, the, the, the famous Knicks-Pacers rivalry, that group didn't come together until the second half, really the last – I mean, all of a sudden it was down the home stretch once the weather turned where you're like, wait a minute, are they good? And then you have other teams like the George Hill, Paul George, GQ you know, spread that was the best team in the league at the All-Star break, and then the, the roof just completely caved in. I think one of the things, to your point, that's enigmatic about the NBA is that this is the time of year – where you're going to have an example of both of those somewhere in the league. And I guess from the Pacers' standpoint, you just want to avoid being obviously the one that collapses. But to me, if there was an area of concern, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm being too paranoid slash nitpicky, I think it works itself out. But since the acquisition of Siakam, who is a wonderful talent, but it seems to me that the fluidity and the ball movement of their offense has slowed down and gotten slower, well, obviously slowed down, with Siakam. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the word I've kept on using is clunky. It just it doesn't seem at that level. And, and honestly, as Tyree talked about last night, I mean, to be fair, it, it is hard to maintain the historic pace that they had put up you know, early on in the year. You know, teams are naturally going to catch up to you. And like the Patriots have gotten somewhat better defensively. Their offense is probably never going to maintain that level. Um, but, you know, part of that is the sacrifices they've made in the starting lineup. Um, they felt like, you know, they had to get better defensively, and so that's where Nemhard comes into play. That's where Neesmith, who, who, you know, Neesmith certainly is a pretty good offensive player as well, but, um, you know, still he's not going to, you know, whatever, outright space the floor, be a, you know, bona fide offensive number one threat. Um, so that is where you are, are, are probably sacrificing a bit. And, and that's, I think, the age-old game, Jake, of just the NBA. Uh, yes, it is such an offensive-driven league, modern, but, you know, how much defense do, do you need come playoff time? Um, the stat still is astonishing to me. The Pacers have now played 56 games, and the opponent has beaten their average, their scoring average, in 42 of those 56 games. I mean, think about that. Like, you know, you think a barometer of that would just be strictly hold the opponent that night to their average. And that would be obviously, you know, zero times above their average. And the Pacers opponent has, has eclipsed it 42 of 56 nights. It's just a given when you play the Pacers almost that, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to go over our average or whatever, 75% chance we go over our average. Again, how much does that just need to change? How much does this, the game slow down? Come in season turn or come playoff time, and I and I mentioned the in season tournament because you can go back to those games. You know those games were at a bit of a slower pace, and you know, the Pacers excelled in them. Um, and particularly, I, I think the first Boston game, the quarterfinal game, even the Laker game, and the title game. Um, so you know that's a game where again it was played at a different pace, and the Pacers actually played pretty well. So again, can you do that come playoff time? Um, 
And the East has just dealt with a lot of injuries, too. I mean, New York is going through it majorly. Cleveland went through it. Certainly the Pacers right now. Obviously Philly with their star. It's just crazy how close it all is. I mean, if literally if whatever, if Siakam doesn't bank it in the other night and somehow R.J. Barrett hits that shot, we're talking about the Pacers as the eighth seed right now in the play-in. I mean, that's just how close things are uh, in regards to the Eastern Conference. So the margin for error is out the window. And it's going to be a sprint to the finish here these final two months. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to take some time with us. With All-Star Weekend upon us, Kevin, I'm going to set some parameters here. I want to have a little fun with you. If we made it, so we're going into NBA 2K land, video game land, and we're turning off injuries. So injuries are not possible to one Kevin Bowen. And additionally, we're allowing you to use the boomer trampoline in the dunk contest. Which of the following would you most be able to hang around with or have some some KB cathedral pride on. Skills challenge, three-point shooting contest, dunk contest, where again, you're allowed to use the uh, old boomer trampoline, or seven minutes in the All-Star game knowing Olay defense is acceptable. My God. Um, so the only advantage you seem to be giving me is in the dunk contest, correct? Am I reading that oh, right? Because I feel like you could you could knock a couple down in the in the three point contest, and the skills challenge is just obstacle course effectively. Well, allegedly well, you showed your or displayed your shooting prowess this morning, right over at the crossover at the convention center. I did, yeah. Zach Eady Bank, uh, first shot. Thank you to Michael <laughs> Smith from 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 Starry for the assist on that. About seven forty eight in the morning, I thought the Timberlands gave me an extra boost. I'll admit the LED court. Uh, had me a little thrown off there, but a nice bank. It's one for one in the box score, which is all that matters. Yep. Um, boy, trampoline. Yeah, I mean, if you could give me the entire power pack, I feel like that would be. I'd have Lucas Oil rocking. Um, <laughs> but you say skills competition. If I remember correctly, part of the skills competition, like you just got a two hand bounce pass it through a hoop or something. Like, I mean, Correct. there are you know there are some elements to it that you know Butler basketball can't mean. Would, would, would have greatly appreciated. That's so, what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I might go skills and, okay. and just hope that, you know, whatever, Webb and Yama and Scotty Barnes are on my team and they can sprint and be long and be great athletes and cover me up. If you had, okay, Kevin, beyond all-star game right now, you're going to win a competition, right? But based on getting knocked out early in the knockout game when, when we played that at the field house, they feel bad for you. So they're like, look, we're going to gear you up. <laughs> We're gonna. You, you get the high tops. You get you know everything. You get totally geared up. And here's the deal. I ask people this all the time at Pacer games, but I want your honest answer here, Kevin, because this is a game with no defense played in general. You got to go out in the All Star game. You're gonna play the entire game. You're not coming out. If you score a point, you get 150 grand. But if you go scoreless, you got to pay 10 grand. You take that. You take that bet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they're going to treat me like a walk-on, and and they're going to that, <laughs> no, 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 no. They're told of the gist. They're they're, well, they're told of it. They're aware of the of the wager here. They're not going to try. I'm going to use my basketball intellect from this great state, and I'm going to I'm going to cherry pick. I'm I'm going to make sure you know, I'll find the alley oop. Oh yeah, I had the guy on the alley oop. Oh, he, he fell down. Okay, find me here. Yeah, I'm going to okay. make one of five in a regular NBA game. Could you do it? Yeah, that, yeah. I don't. I don't think people realize how fast the ball moves and how long 
every player is and just how quickly they can collapse. There's you know one what I mean? chance. There's one chance. First time you're You'd subbed in. You'd have to cherry in, pick, right? Or cherry picked or first time you're subbed in a catch and shoot three because they're uncertain yeah. of your game and you just are able to catch them napping. That's it. It's the only yeah, shot. Yeah, you're, you're going to get the M&M. You're going to get the one shot, one opportunity. Uh, <laughs> are you going to seize it or not? That's, yeah. And I'm, I'm a, well, certainly, Jake, you saw it firsthand. Uh, <laughs> you had mom's uh, spaghetti on you, that's for sure, right? Uh, 100%. Oh, yeah, choking. And, yeah, exactly. I was I, I was doing all that. The, the thing that, you know, you guys mentioned just like the side. It was kind of funny. We, you know, at, at this event last night, we did a little bit of an intro for Woj and, Halliburton and Grant Hill, and so did, did you like get to talk stage? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I did. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Halliburton, and I, I mean, I've you know interacted with him before, but I'm like, damn, you forget how tall he is. Like, totally. Uh, and I don't know. I guess he's listed at you know probably six five, but yeah. And Jake, you you certainly see this with where your seats are. Yeah, just the sheer size and the length of like. Oh man, this isn't my seven-year-old nephew closing out on me in the driveway the other night. This is a little bit of a different athlete running out at me. So, yeah, if I'm going to bet that type of money, All-Star game, yes, NBA real game. Oh boy, yeah, I'm already sweat. I feel like Usher right now, sitting here imagining that. So Tyrese Halliburton's weekend will be chronicled and covered by Kevin Bowen, including the All-Star game on Sunday, and then of course he would be with Andy first thing. Recapping all of it on Monday morning on the Wake Up Call. KB and Andy here on The Fan, 7 a.m. on Monday morning. Kevin, appreciate it. Enjoy it, all right? Have a great weekend, guys. Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. We come back. Something that happened last night that I mentioned earlier I thought was we've kind of had a day-to-day of stories coming full circle, if you will. Pardon the pun since we're on the circle. But I'll explain what I'm talking about next. I had mentioned that it- life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new and everything in between. It's a day on the circle where things kind of become or have come full circle in the all-star game. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But first, waiting patiently, Jonah has been on the line with us. Jonah, how are you? Sorry to keep you holding so long. Oh, hey, your insulator is being all patient here in Arizona. <laughs> That's right. There you go. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what. As this, I, So I told you before I had season tickets from 2004 to like – 11 or 12, I don't remember, but it was for a good long time. And that interview with Jermaine O'Neal was just, it hit me in the feels. Because he, he probably to this day is still my favorite power forward on the Pacers. And I remember, and you, you nailed it earlier with the game at, or against Orlando the day after. I remember going to that game, and I remember being really encouraged by our bench how well they played, like James Jones, Fred Jones. I think Scott Pollard played. I don't. I don't remember the full roster, but and I remember two days later we played the Celtics at home and we won that game. And I just remember at the time being really encouraged by the bench getting a lot of minutes. And then I, I also thought that run our test would be back for the playoffs because I, I, when they reinstated Jermaine O'Neal, I, I thought at some point our test would come back because I, th- I still think to this day that. 
uh, Stern overreacted with the suspensions despite how bad the brawl was. And the, the Pacers were so good that year. They beat the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs and took the Pistons to six games. That's just how deep and good that team was. And, and unfortunately, it just had to end that way. But after Reggie Miller retiring the next year, the wheels just kind of fell off. And I just I, – I didn't even see – the dark days of the Pacers, I, I didn't see coming. But it really did happen after Reggie retired because the lack of, they lost a lot of leadership. And outside of Danny Granger, there was some bad drafting as well. And that trade to Golden State just kind of set them down over the years. So it was just – a lot of nostalgia with that interview, and I'm glad you were able to have him on because there's a lot of stuff about O'Neal that I didn't even know until today. Yeah, that was the point of it. I appreciate it, Jonah. Um, you know, and that that leads to the first of my, I guess, three things about full circle uh, about today or about just conclusions, etc. We'll begin with Jermaine O'Neal. We'll have the interview up. It may already be up, actually, on the website. I believe it is. Um, our 30-minute discussion with Jermaine O'Neal, but talking about Exactly what Jonah was talking about. And everything that Jermaine went through from the brawl to coming back from that to the divide that was created from that. And this weekend being the opportunity for him to come back. He was at a dinner last night for Pacer alumni. I mean, it's not like he's never been back in town, but how about that suit? Very sharp. He had a nice suit on. He probably looked he was dressed as well as anybody there. Um but, you know, to be able to sit down, you know, at one point, you know, you see a picture with he, Ron Artest, and Donnie Walsh sitting at a table eating dinner. And, I mean, those guys have always been in contact with one another. I don't mean that. But I just think for Jermaine, if you have not heard the interview, you'll want to hear it because I think this weekend was the ability for Jermaine to come to grips with a lot of what Jonah was talking about and being able to just, as I had asked him, to to finally be free, right? So – in a city where there has been a complex legacy for Jermaine O'Neal, I think coming back here for this weekend allows him to do it kind of full circle. Uh, secondly, if you're just joining us, in the last hour or so, Scott Pollard, the former Pacer Center who has been at Vanderbilt Medical Center awaiting a heart transplant, he, genetically speaking, knew that he was kind of up against it when it comes to his heart. And then in addition to that, he had an illness, a back, I believe it was a bacterial infection recently. He was already in need of a heart transplant because he was going through heart failure. When you are you know, 6'10 and 290 pounds or whatever he is, 7 foot, obviously it is not the easiest thing in the world to find a, a donor and be a recipient for a heart transplant. That list in general is a, a short one and a, and a challenging one to wade through. It goes without saying there are people on waiting lists all around the country. But Dawn Pollard, Scott Pollard's wife, posted the following on Facebook about an hour ago. Quote, Scott wanted me to let everyone know that the pre-heart transplant hair is gone because it's go time. After a roller coaster ride of emotions, a few offers of hearts that got our hopes up and down, they finally found the one. They just took him back for surgery, Please keep the prayers coming for Scott, the surgeons, for the donor, and his family who lost their loved one. This donor gave the most amazing gift of life, and we are forever grateful. So Scott Pollard uh, currently, it would seem, is in the process of the heart transplant. So obviously that story, while you know, terribly sad for one family, the full circle of it, it is triumphant for another. That is the dichotomy of emotion that comes with 
being an organ donor, but at the same time in the family will allow for their loved one to live on, uh, hopefully, and and long-term healthy within Scott Pollard. Uh, The other thing that took place last night, I talked about this earlier off the top of the show, and I'm basically going to revisit the exact same story over again because I think it is one of the true triumphant stories of All-Star Weekend here in Indianapolis. Um, Once upon a time in Indianapolis, this was a segregated city. You had two different neighborhoods that were the, quote, black neighborhoods in segregated Indianapolis. One of them essentially is where 60 and 70, uh, 65 and 70 merge. Uh, that was not uncommon in the early 50s when the interstate system of the United States became uh, was, was being developed, that oftentimes it would go through the African-American neighborhoods of inner cities. And that's essentially where Oscar Charleston, the Baseball Hall of Famer, where he was born and grew up was one of the two black neighborhoods and it was that that essentially is where like 10th and pennsylvania area where the 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 bypass comes through the other neighborhood was called lockfield and it was over by what is now iupy there's clearly lockfield gardens is named for it crispus attics high school which was named for the first person to die in the revolutionary war a black soldier by the name of crispus attics was the high school for the near west side black neighborhood of segregated Indianapolis. Basketball games were legendary in that area, played on what was called the Dust Bowl. And that's where Oscar Robertson and his brother Bailey and Cleveland Harp and Willie Gardner and Hallie Bryant and great players grew up playing on the Dust Bowl. And they were somewhat insulated from the ugly truths of racism throughout Indiana because they were integrated a little bit in their pickup games. The Van Arsdales started coming from Manual High School over to play in those games. But Attics started to put together, with Ray Crow, the head coach, a dominant basketball program. And Crispus Attics, as a matter of fact, when Milan in 1954, when Small Milan, the basis of the movie Hoosiers, made it to Hinkle Fieldhouse and the state finals, Butler Fieldhouse as it was known then, Milan beat Attics on their way to going to Hinkle. And in those days in the Indiana tournament, when a team would beat you, that's who you kind of followed. If you were beaten in the early rounds of the sectional by LaPel, then you rooted for LaPel. You and your school went and you followed LaPel through the tournament. And that was kind of the grassroots snowball effect of the tournament back in those days. So Oscar Robertson saw what happened in 1954. And what happened in 1954 when Milan won it was the following. They themselves had gone to the Final Four in 1953. And when Milan went to the Final Four in 1953 to the Butler Fieldhouse, the policeman that escorted their bus, which was customary for all schools, had kind of flippantly made them the promise. Boys, if you win the state tournament, we'll get you an escort all the way back to Milan and we'll take you around Monument Circle. They didn't win. In 1954, they came back. They defeated Attucks. So Attucks was probably following a little bit Milan's journey. Milan wins, and that same trooper escorted them again. And so the players, Bobby Plump and the rest, you know, were like, hey, remember last year? Here's what you said. And so they said, yeah, let's do it. And they took a caravan down from Butler Fieldhouse, down Meridian Street, and went around Monument Circle and then headed out east and eventually southeast to go back to Milan. 
addicts, Oscar Robertson and the group saw that. And maybe erroneously, but assumed that that was customary. So in 1955, Indianapolis Crispus Addicts wins the state tournament. And they did so by facing a lot of ugly truths about the gross past of this state. Oftentimes they were playing eight on five. They had to play games on the road. A lot of teams wouldn't come and play at Attics because it was the black school. Now, mind you, Crispus Attics was as fine an academic institution as you could find for a high school anywhere in the United States at that time because most of their staff were Ph.D. educated educators that could not teach at Indiana or Purdue or other such places because of their color. And so they taught at Attics. And Attics students received a fine, fine education. But they were sheltered a little bit from some of the ugly truths of racism within the United States. It was there for certain, and they were aware of it, but perhaps not to the level that became illuminated to them once they went out of that bubble. Oscar Robertson talks about that at great length in his autobiography, which is fabulous, by the way. So when they won it in 55, they got their caravan with the state trooper, not the same one, and they drove down Meridian, and then they got to 10th Street, and Oscar and his teammates are assuming that they're going to go around Monument Circle. They did not. They took a right to go west and head towards Lockfield on 10th Street. Oscar Robertson has always claimed that he overheard the police saying that they didn't want to take the team around Monument Circle because they couldn't trust the civility of the black population of Indianapolis. I think that probably is true. I don't know. I wasn't around then, but certainly historically speaking, you would be naive to think that that wasn't possible in 1955, even in 2025 for that matter, sadly, depending on who you're around. But either way, it created justifiably whether or not the story is valid is to be debated. But the emotion that was in Oscar Robertson believing that story to be true is totally justifiable and understandable. And he held on to that for a very, very long time. Hallie Bryant, Cleveland Harp, a lot of those guys had gone to Oscar and, and suggested or recommended to him that he let bygones be bygones. I know this from interviews that that I've done with Oscar over within the last year, you know, 10 years or so, and in talking to Cleveland Harp, who was an usher at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, standing feet away from NBA players that probably were unaware of the trails that Cleveland Harp had blazed as a player at Attics and later for the Harlem Globetrotters. But nonetheless, Oscar resented that greatly, that they never got their parade around Monument Circle. And so, for nearly 70 years later, not by design, but through accomplishment of Oscar Robertson, the greatest player in basketball history to have come from an Indiana high school, If you look at the totality of his career, first black school to win a state championship in the United States, first black school to win an undefeated state championship in the United States, first high school from Indianapolis to win the coveted Indiana State Championship and did it two years in a row with Oscar, and then went to Cincinnati, played in Final Fours, went to the Royals, won a title with the Milwaukee Bucks. He is without question 
the most totality accomplished basketball player in the history of this state. And I have always had a tremendous pride about the fact that Oscar Robertson was one of us and Oscar Robertson was a Hoosier. But I think Oscar Robertson always felt a little bit of hesitation as to the amount of embrace that he got from his home city. And it's rooted in that story from 1955 in Monument Circle. So for last night, the tip-off celebration for All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis to feature prominently the name and lights of Oscar Robertson and to announce to Oscar Robertson that a statue of him will be unveiled that will be in front of Crispus Attucks in partnership of the NBA, the Indiana Pacers, and the city of Indianapolis. I certainly hope that that is full circle in this city acknowledging their errors in past and now finally recognizing and embracing what we should consider to be one of our native sons that we should be the most proud of and the way that he has conducted himself as a player as a man and as an ambassador for the game of basketball for that to take place in this city i think is as symbolic to start this weekend as anything that'll happen in the next two days the jay cook plays of the day this is me all right i'm not a athlete this is my way this is how i win Today's plays of the day. First caveat, as we know, college basketball lines usually don't come out until the previous day's games have completed. So lay whatever it is on Purdue at Ohio State this weekend. I know we got in trouble with that last night, but Ohio State's going with an interim head coach. They're kind of a mess, even though it's on the road. I think Purdue takes care of business. Regardless of what that line is, in the same vein, Butler hosts Creighton. I think they get their last signature win they need tomorrow when they host the Blue Jays take the Bulldogs outright on the money line. Last nine All-Star Weekend bet. Give me Erling Holland to score tomorrow for Manchester City as they take on Chelsea in the Premier League. Now for the fun stuff, NBA All-Star Weekend. There's value for Sabrina Unescu against Steph Curry. Steph Curry's a minus 220 favorite, but if you're looking for action on all of the events, she's plus 160. I'm going to take her outright to win her head-to-head against Steph Curry in their three-point contest. I'm going with the hometown cooking for three-point. I'm taking Tyrese, but if you're looking for a non-pacer bet, Lori Markin would be my second choice because the juice is so high you can sprinkle bets where you'd like. As for the skills challenge, give me the Pacers to take care of business. Yes, there is some bias there, but I like their complete unit. I think they get it done. No bet really for the All-Star game, East versus West. I will take plus 1,100, though, on Kevin Durant to win MVP. Eddie, you got anything? I do. In the Rising Stars, I will take... Team Jalen to win it all. Really like the size and length that they have also featuring Benedict Matherin. As a dart throw to win the three-point shootout, I prefer Carl Anthony Towns here. He's got a, a lot of experience in this. I also think the forwards have a little bit of an advantage. We talked about this yesterday with the depth perception. Now, perhaps that height helps them a little bit in terms of that. So nice. I'll take him at plus 700, and we'll take Damian Lillard under 22.5 for his first-round score. Nice. Um Tyrese Halliburton's going to be the MVP, right? Well, you can't bet him. Like, I, I looked through, I mean, and I, unless I've missed it, he's not on the board on the sports book that I use. So maybe he's elsewhere, but I would love to see that happen. I just I can't find it. Luca, if not him, it's Luca. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Bill Garrett, uh, thank you to the phone call. Yes, Bill Garrett was the first African-American player in Big Ten history out of Shelbyville at Indiana, and thus the arena at Shelbyville High School is, in fact, named for Bill Garrett. So certainly to say that the history of African-American players and their contribution in Indiana is limited to Crispus Attucks is disingenuous. But um, and, and yes, I know that the Attucks team 
was allowed to be in the 500 Festival Parade a few years ago, and Oscar, that was his request that the team uh, do that. But I just think the symbolism of of the now eternal, if you will, praise for Oscar Robertson is to be appreciated. All right, rounding it out, Brian joins us. What's up, Brian? Uh, not much. Hey, uh, I enjoyed your piece about uh, the parade and everything. An outstanding piece of history. Uh, here, here, here. Outstanding. Very good. I appreciate that. Thank you. You are welcome, Brian. Are you a native of Indianapolis? Yep. I grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and I heard about the big old all my life. He was he was it. He was basketball in Indiana. You are correct, man. I mean, you are absolutely right. Brian, what high school did you go to? Well, actually, I'm from Anderson, so... Okay. My dad uh, was an Indian. I was a pirate, and for him, my dad said the Big O was the best. And for my dad to pick the Big O over jumping Johnny Wilson, really... Uh, <laughs> that, that speaks that, it all right there, right? Yeah. Hey, Brian, yeah. I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, man, there are a few things that are better in terms of the history of this state than the wigwam. I, man, every time I go up to Anderson, I have to go by the wigwam. It makes me sad that they... That it's still in the state that it's in, but a lot of great games, a lot of great memories. I want to throw one clarifier in from our bets. I was able to find it now, so Jake, if for some reason you're trying to throw a dart, Tyrese Halliburton, all-star MVP, I'll include that in my wagers, plus 1,200 is the juice you're getting there for Tyrese to win MVP in all-star game action at Gambridge Fieldhouse. I mean, he's got to be the front runner, though, right? Like, I mean, just based on the sentimentality of it correct yes i would think so but based on where the books minds is they're going for the superstars it goes Giannis, lebron tatum durant lowered edwards and then tyrese in that order in terms of front runners for the mvp what about paul george a little bit of a dart throw there Ooh. plus 3500 i like the juice there okay. by the way jmv is up next he is live at the slippery noodle which is where uh we will be tomorrow night to see the elect so if you want to stop by you still got time to and say hi to marty as well at the slippery noodle marty is the absolute best um and jmv will be there until six o'clock tonight so your chance to go by have a cold one uh get some good food and listen to jmv i want indy to enjoy the heck out of this weekend jake totally really agree do. totally agree and we will have a heck of a lot of fun on monday recapping all of it we had great guests this week ralph sampson adrian wojnarowski uh jermaine o'neill was really good today it's all available on podcasts have a wonderful weekend we'll talk to you on monday